So do I talk first, or you talk first? I talk first? <laughs> All right. Welcome to episode 206 of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. Happy Star Wars Day, everyone. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm Manny Manuel. I am so delighted by that opening. <laughs> that was unbelievable. I was worried you wouldn't pick up on that, and you would just oh. think I was actually being weird. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Fucking A. Uh, for the third consecutive year, mm. we will be starting a... Uh, a mini series on a Star Wars trilogy. Yes. Uh, what seems like forever ago, back in was it 2020 that we did uh, our first uh, Star Wars mini series for May the Fourth? Did yeah. we do the original trilogy back in 2020? Yeah. And then last year we continued on with the prequels. Uh, as of recording in April of 2022, we are about to begin the last trilogy, uh, the most recent one, and. Uh, as of right now, the final one. Uh, we're going to be starting our mini-series on the sequels, uh, which today means we are talking about Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It, I was shocked to learn that this movie is just over... Oh, what does that make it? Just over six years, because it came out December of 2015. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yep, yeah. Yep. So uh, so in, in our seventh year... Uh, Feels like yesterday that this like we were still so hyped about this movie, and we were, there was so much speculation about what was going to happen, about how good it would be, and like obviously with Star Wars, there's uh, there's a ton of hype always, but you know we will uh, we will get to all of that discussion uh, at a later date. Um, Manny, are you are you excited to do another Star Wars miniseries? Are you are you dreading it a little bit? What is what are your general feelings about today? I'm dreading it. Why are you dreading it? Because I know how this shit ends. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, you and I are far enough removed from the Star Wars fandom. Uh, we've both seen all of these movies several yeah. times, but I don't think either of us really consider ourselves Star Wars fanboys. Is that accurate? That is 100% accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I would I would almost, not not going to actually label you this, but you're like just shy of being a hater. No, I'm not that close. I, I w- I'm not a hater. I'm a massively disappointed, massively disappointed by the films. Mm-hmm. Now the uh, the Mandalorian on uh, on on Disney Plus has been uh, thoroughly entertaining. I to wa- to date, there's only two seasons of Mandalorian, right, and one of Book of Book of Boba Fett. You could, s- f- I have I I couldn't continue watching the Book of Boba Fett because I found it kind of boring. I have I've not watched a single second of Book of Boba Fett, but I've seen both seasons of Mandalorian. Okay, um, you should watch uh, the Book of Boba Fett because, from my understanding, uh, there's actually kind of like two point five seasons of the Mandalorian. Mm. Interesting. Apparently, there's like two or three, one like one full episode of the Book of Boba Fett is literally the Mandalorian. Interesting. Which I haven't watched yet. I just I'm not a hater. But I can honestly tell you that I'm not a fan anymore. These films have disappointed me to the point where the idea, like there, there's a there's a new show coming out soon. Obi Wan, Ewan McGregor's coming back on. I think it's it's simply called Kenobi, right? Yeah. I'm not hyped. Mm-hmm. Don't really care when they finally make more movies more Star Wars movies, I'm going to go kind of just because. 
I'm not going to be I, – I, I can tell you right now, if they announced a new Star Wars film was coming out in December of this year, I would not be amped. I wouldn't be eagerly anticipating its release. I would – yeah, I'm – but I'm not a hater. I'm not like, Star Wars is fucking dumb. Yeah, not one of those guys. Star not, Wars is for nerds. Yeah. It's not about that. Yeah. Star it Wars is for, is nerds, for nerds, but we're nerds. So, like. Superheroes <laughs> are for the fucking cool dudes. It's yeah, not, that's it's, right. It's not that. My love and affection for this franchise has plummeted. Plummeted. And uh, we'll get into that. Yeah, maybe we'll we'll find out why today <laughs> but in the meantime uh manny uh you're you're always busy with uh the watching of the movies even when yeah. we're not preparing for a podcast uh, you get up to much this week not as much as i <coughs> oh man i think i made the wrong choice yeah you did <laughs> um with 1993 in the rearview mirror us starting this miniseries that means a new film year is on its way and that would be 1992. So yeah, I... with our, with our for for those who don't know, we sort of have been scheduling our podcast going back through the years. Uh, so we've done 95, 94, just finished 93. We spent we spent about three and a half months on 1993 alone, mm-hmm. just watching 93 films, mm-hmm. and we have not even started reviewing 1992 films yet. But Manny is uh, Manny is undeterred. He's I'm, already already going. I'm getting a head start because my list. My list of stuff I wanted to watch for 1992 is really long, but Sam, I'm going to tell you this. You know how I I always try to give you a list of movies that you should watch outside of the ones that we do. And I never watch them. And you never watch them. Yeah. I, I put forth this great broken down list in like tears and you stuff. You put like your that. heart and soul I do. into I do. making my life better. Yeah. I'm... And what I do in return uh, for that gesture is just take a huge dump all over it. Yes. And not watch a single one. Yes. Is that kind of a summary of where you're, where you're going? Pretty much. Okay. Yep. But what I can honestly say is that outside of the movies that we're reviewing for the podcast, for the retrospective, there's actually not many that I would say you should watch. Hmm. I didn't realize that it's not the strongest year. So I'm not overly excited to revisit a lot of them, and I'm kind of sad about it. How many 93s outside of our main list were you really excited for? This will take me a moment. Mm -hmm. Let me quickly look here. Uh, Films, decade, 1993. Sort by... Okay. Outside of the ones that we reviewed? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to count. I'll just count out loud. One, two, three. Do you want? Should I name them? Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. Uh, Rudy, Dazed mm-hmm. and Confused, Dragon, the Brad, the Bruce Lee story, uh, Searching for Bobby Fisher, In the Line of Fire, Indian Summer. I'm counting this one because it technically wasn't on the list. Dave. Dave. Yeah. <laughs> but we did wind up making an episode about it. Yep. Um, A Perfect World, Falling Down, Carlito's Way, Cliffhanger, The Wedding Banquet. What's Love Got to Do With It, Geronimo, The Firm, Malice, Last Action Hero, and Sliver. Wow. So, uh, uh, one, two, three, four, uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 
10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. I'll throw last action hero. 17. So like 15 to 15 to 20. Yeah. And tentatively for 1992, you say, there's probably nowhere close to, to quite okay, that, let me that, see you're, if I can that you're really excited about. Okay. So outside, again, outside ones that we're reviewing. Correct. I'll quickly go through this list. Ones that I'm excited to wa- rewatch or perhaps watch for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10 because it's last mohicans <laughs> which we've already made an episode on technically but um well not technically we have made an episode on it yeah and so maybe i guess there's more but like all these other ones like i'm kind of looking at what i watched for 93 i wish i could remember off the top of my head what i what my average rating was for the whole year i could probably grab that quickly mm-hmm I think it was like three. I think I, I want to say it was over three and a half. Yeah, I, I remember. I don't remember what mine was for ninety three. I remember ha- I had an outrageously high one for ninety four. I had like a three point nine average star rating. Yeah. Movies that I okay, so you're three point four three. Okay, so I'm th- I was three point two <clears throat> for nineteen ninety three, which was higher than ninety four, which was under three, a failing fucking grade. Hmm. <clears throat> I'm looking at what I have lined up for nineteen ninety two. I'm going to call my shot right now. It's going to come under 3. Point. It's going to come under 3.2. Yes. Oh wait, maybe not. Because I'm going to predict right now. I gave it 1 2 3 4. I gave it 4 5 stars for 1993. 1 2 3 4. Okay, so it might be the same. I might give out 4 5 stars. Kind of look at what I got here. It'll be interesting. Anyways, I don't know. I just have this feeling about 1992 that it's going to kind of be a letdown. And I knocked off two, which I wasn't even going to talk about, a couple of them. I've knocked off three so far. Oh, my God. Um, Oh, no, never mind. I've knocked off four. (laughs) Holy shit, that's a 92 film. Shit, that's going right to the top of your must-watch list. Okay. Oh, sure. Uh, so the movie I watched, as we fucking prattled on about 1992, uh, the only one that I'm, I'm going to talk about uh, is Under Siege. A, uh, and I'm, I'm go- oh, Why don't you hold off here? It's a Steven Seagal film. Okay. Uh, an ex-Navy SEAL turned cook is the only person who can stop a group of terrorists when they seize control of a U.S. battleship. This is the only one you wanted to talk about? That I, I'll, no, this is the only one from, from the, of the 1992 films I've watched. Okay. The other ones, the other 1992 films that I've watched recently, I'm not going to discuss. Because I, I have to admit that cast list and synopsis did not inspire a lot of confidence. Did you? Oh, you did you? Are you looking at the whole cast list? No, just the the just fact the, that you said it was Steven Seagal. Okay, but it has Tommy Lee Jones, Gary Busey, and. I think there's a couple other there's a couple uh, minor character actors that you would recognize like you're like oh like uh, there's an actor named uh, Glenn Morshower 
maybe you would. Who actually? You know what? I won't know if you would. But Raymond Cruz, um, he played that um, the drug the the first kind of major drug dealer from Breaking Bad. Oh, uh, Tuco. Tuco, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was already in stuff as early as 93 or 92. Oh, yeah. He's been around for a long time. Really? He looks like relatively young, I think, in, in Breaking Bad. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. Yep. Um, okay. I'm just going to tell you right now, Under Siege is a three out of five. Okay. I'm not, I'm not a Steven Seagal fan. I definitely was in the late 80s because he was his type of martial arts, which is basically bullshit. Um, was fresh and new back then. So it was kind of, it was exciting to see uh, him. And at that time, like 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 when he broke out in the late 80s, I would have been 13, 14. So obviously I didn't know shit. <clears throat> Under Siege is literally die hard on a battleship. It has complete ripoffs from die hard, like scenes action sequences that are complete ripoffs from Die Hard. I understand that the idea of watching a Steven Seagal film is highly unappealing. This is honestly the only one that you ever really need to watch because this one is actually good and fun. Not because of Seagal, but Tommy Lee Jones, one year before he wins the Oscar, is having the fucking time of his life. You watch this, you're like, <laughs> somebody had fun today, mm-hmm. and that is Tommy Lee Jones. Gary Busey is uh, cast very well uh, in the movie as um, as one of the other people on the battleship. <clears throat> it's a stupid, dumb action movie from the early 90s that is completely enjoyable. I'm not going to go so far as to recommend it. But if you ever just see it on a streamer and you're like, I'm in the mood for like a kind of like a dumb action movie, you really can't go wrong with Under Siege. It is a perfectly enjoyable 90s action film. I had to had to look it up. Uh, Steven Seagal, the martial art that he practices is Aikido. I'd <laughs> yes, I know that you knew that, but uh, I just had to look that up because I have heard from many different people that... Uh, while he is, according to his Wikipedia page, a seventh Dan black belt in Aikido, mm-hmm. uh, I've heard that it is considered to be, shall we say, not the greatest of martial arts. Or it, some people would go so far to say that it is a bullshit martial art. Yeah, the one thing... Uh, for anyone that practices Aikido out there, uh, like I do apologize, I, I honestly know nothing. Me neither, and I don't mean to yeah. imply... I. I know nothing. Educate me. What I can tell you about Steven Seagal on screen, the way that Aikido works is it's generally using your opponent's momentum and body weight against them, similar to judo. Right. And what makes it a really great cinematic martial art is that he, you like when you, when somebody lunges at him to throw a punch, he kind of catches their punch and uses their momentum against them. So he'll like, pull their hand or grab their wrist and pull them as they're punching and then he'll smash their face into the wall and stuff like that and he like he'll twist them around like 
like as they're punching, he'll grab, pull them around, then twist their arm around and break it over his shoulder and stuff like that. It's very, it's a really great cinematic because it's all fluid. It works really well on screen. Whether or not it works in real life, I can't tell you. But cinematically, it's so different because it's not about squaring off with somebody and like exchanging punches. It's almost like this kind of fluid dance. And that's what made Steven Seagal kind of stand out amongst his peers in the action community, like mm-hmm. Jean-Claude Van Damme and, and them. The Honestly, the only reason to watch this is to watch Tommy Lee Jones just have the fucking time of his life. He is so fucking fun. Is it at all worth watching for me? Do you think I would enjoy this? Uh... Yes. I think that you would... I, I think you would enjoy... I think you would enjoy this ironically. Okay, I, th- I, I th- can. That's that's still enjoyment. I think you would enjoy. You would be like, this is really cheesy and dumb, but I'm kind. And you'd be like, I'm kind of having a good time. This is not. This is not like speed. Yeah. Where you're like, holy fuck, this is better than I thought. Yeah. This is. This is dumb and fun. Like I, I'm having a good time. Like my, the kind of enjoyment I'm imagining right now is like face off light, like not quite as over the top and cheesy, but just like. Very, very light. Yeah. Because you really enjoyed Face Off. Uh, yeah, I gave Face Off a four. That, yeah. that movie is... And it made your top ten of that year. It's batshit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> batshit crazy It is crazy not movie. at that level, <laughs> but it is, like, it's it's perfectly enjoyable. Like, it's perfectly enjoyable. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Under Siege. Three out of five. Cool. Next up, to celebrate April 26th, that is Alien Day. We are celebrating Star Wars Day today, which is that's when this will, I'm going to release this on Star Wars Day. Uh, I decided to rewatch one of my all time favorite films. Is Aliens in my top 10? It must have been. This was this was one of the first movies that uh, you. That's number eight. One of the first movies that you really emphasize that you wanted to do for the podcast yeah this is my we did this early on yeah i'm scared to re-listen to that episode too i would definitely redo this episode 100 percent to break this down as much as we break down stuff now anyways the movie i'm talking about is aliens from 1986 uh 57 years after surviving an apocalyptic attack aboard her space vessel by merciless space creatures i don't know why i don't know Oh, I guess technically. I was like, I guess the first one does have two creatures. It does have the face hugger and the xenomorph itself. Okay. Yeah. I was like, it's not plural. There's only one, but technically two. Uh, Officer Ripley awakens from hypersleep and tries to warn anyone who will listen about the Predators. That's a shitty fucking synopsis. Yeah, it's not great. I fucking love this movie. Obviously, it's my eighth favorite film of all time. I can't believe... I can't believe that Wes hasn't seen any Aliens films. Yeah, what the fuck, man? Wes, if you're listening, I hope uh, I hope you do go watch uh, certainly the first two. First three, man, he's holding up a three. <laughs> first I've, three. I've yet to see Aliens, or I've yet to see Alien 3, but... That's a- coming soon. Aliens 3? Alien 3? Alien 3. Alien 3, singular. Yeah. Okay. I've yet to see Alien 3, but that's coming up, right? Because that is a 92. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've got that coming down the pipeline. So I'm excited for that, actually. It has a bad reputation that I know 
you think it doesn't necessarily deserve to the same degree. Correct. Yeah. Yes. And it's all, it, but it's also your boy Fincher. So. Yeah. <laughs> but I I enjoyed it before he was my boy because mm-hmm. I saw that I saw it in theaters, and so when I saw it in theaters and I left the theater, I'm like, that was really good. I had a, I had a really good time. He's also disowned the movie and said that it is not a representation of his vision at all. It's not because it was how it was cut. I guess. Yes. Which will have to. Hmm. We'll have to discuss. Maybe I might have you over. Are there a couple of cuts for that one? Yeah, there's a director's cut. Okay. Is it any better? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to play your hand just yet. You, you don't have to show your cards. You Shit, can play close maybe, to I that. Might, maybe I should watch both before we get there. Holy. Maybe I should watch both to determine which one we should watch. I'm going to double check. Okay. Watch anyways. both and then watch it again when we watch it? I'm going to re-watch a David Fincher film. Hello. No problems. <laughs> No problems. Fair enough. Um, anyways, back to Aliens. Absolutely spectacular action film. Absolutely jaw-dropping on how well those special effects have held up for, what, 34 years, 36 years now? I couldn't believe how – well, I shouldn't say I couldn't believe. It's just astonishing at how incredibly well-made this movie is. James Cameron is a fucking genius. Now, he may be a bit of an asshole, but the guy knows how to fucking put a film together. This movie is an action-adventure thrill ride from start to finish. I can't heap enough praise on this movie. Sigourney Weaver is in an Oscar-nominated performance, and I think it's deserved. Oh, you're nominated. I forgot about that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the movie's just a fucking action thrill ride. I, I, I just can't get enough of it. I fucking love this movie. Five, I have out, only five se- out of five. Five I've only five. seen it the one time when we actually reviewed it. I mm-hmm. have yet to go back and revisit it, but I remember really liking it. Yeah. I think you gave it a four. I think I did. That sounds about right. Oh, I I'm trying to find the exact episode that it was. Oh, and... I can find it for you. Can you? Yeah. I'm going back and just can't actually seem to find it. Uh, it's episode 32, and you gave it a four. Yeah, it sounds about right. Oh, you have all this logged, hey? Fuck yeah. <laughs> you and your spreadsheets. Yeah. I should really... Which, uh... which actually, I keep meaning. I'm like, I want. I should send you your scores. Yeah. And uh, and I can go back and log them? Yeah. I would very much appreciate if you I would know. do that, actually. I will do that. Okay. I will. Honestly, even if you send me the like the raw spreadsheet, I can go back and I yep. can do that. Yep. I will. Uh, I'll get on that for you. Uh, I don't really need to talk about aliens too much, uh, probably because maybe when we run out of Star Wars films, we'll start doing Alien Day. Oh shit, that'd be cool. And then we could do one per year. That would be wicked. Yeah. Do Alien revisit Aliens? Yeah. Well, then Alien Three. We'll already have done. Yeah. And then we can do Alien Resurrection. Alien but do you really want to do the Alien vs Predator movies and Prometheus? The same way. Did I want to fucking do the Star Wars prequels? No, but I'd fucking do them. We had a fun time with Attack of the Clones, didn't we? It'd be fun. We always talk about how we don't watch enough bad movies on this podcast. Yeah. Throwing some fucking shit, some shitty schlock. There you go. Aliens, five out of five. Cool. And the last movie I want to talk about, I did a double feature at the movie theater uh, last week. My sister had an extra ticket to a movie I had no desire to see. But... It was my sister, 
and uh, I love her, and I like spending time with her. And she was kind enough to invite me to the movie, so who am I to say no? So I went and saw the action-adventure comedy starring Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum, Daniel Radcliffe, and Brad Pitt. And that movie is called The Lost City. A reclusive romance novelist on a book tour with her cover model gets swept up in a kidnapping attempt that lands them both in a cutthroat jungle adventure. Man, I won't lie to you. That sounds really bad. Anyone's entire enjoyment of this film, in my opinion, directly hinges on their opinion and their desire to watch Channing Tatum on screen. If you are someone that enjoys Channing Tatum, either his physical attributes or his comedic stylings, this is a movie that you will enjoy. I'm not saying you should go to the theater to see it. I think this is a perfectly enjoyable film to watch at home. One that you could put on. It's a, it's a buck 52. It's an hour 52. It doesn't need to be that long. I'm not a Channing Tatum hater, but I'm not a fan. So a lot of his comedy in here just didn't work for me. Wasn't my thing. Do you like the Jump Street movies? I've only seen the first one. Both are pretty good, in my opinion. I don't remember liking it. Hmm. I don't remember disliking it. Uh, 22 Jump Street is pretty meta and fourth wall breaky, and okay. honestly better for it, as far as I'm concerned. All right. There are definitely movies that I would be very interested in rewatching. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this. Oh, okay, I'm just going to spoil this. I gave this movie a two. But when Brad Pitt is on screen... This movie is a four, maybe even a five. Brad Pitt is in this? Yes, he is. Oh, my goodness. He has a small part, and there lies the problem, is that he's not in the movie anywhere near enough. That's most movies' problems, honestly, is that they don't have enough Brad Pitt or any Brad Pitt. I can't stress how amazing he is in this movie. He made this movie worth me going to the movie theater. And also because of my sister inviting me, I found out that the movie we'll be talking about later uh, was at the movie theater because the fucking website lied to me. Anyway, So it was a good thing. <clears throat> it was a good thing. Now, this movie is a uh, – it's not like a remake. This movie is so incredibly similar to a movie I watched, and I want to say recently, but it was probably like two, a year or two ago, uh, Romancing the Stone. Hold on. I want to quickly... Romancing the Stone, I want to say was... See if I can remember this. I think it was uh, Robert Zemeckis. Is that correct. correct? Yeah. Well done, sir. I can't believe I actually remembered that. And uh, that's about the only thing I remember about it. Uh, one would assume it's a romance movie of some kind. Okay, it is. Okay, so... Plot synopsis of The Lost City. A reclusive romance novelist on a book tour with a cover model gets swept up in a kidnapping attempt that lands them both on a cutthroat jungle adventure. Romancing the Stones... Plot synopsis. A mousy romance novelist sets off for Columbia to ransom her kidnapped sister and soon finds herself in the middle of a dangerous adventure hunting for treasure with a mercenary rogue. So is it a ripoff or is it an homage? I think it's a, kind of an homage. Uh, 
Have you seen the movie The Proposal with Sandra Bullock? I haven't, no. Okay. That's her and Ryan Reynolds, right? Yeah. She's basically playing the same character. Right. Um, What I'm going to say is that while I don't ever see myself ever revisiting this on purpose, like I'll never be like, I'm going to watch The Lost City. <clears throat> what I can say is this. When it hits a streamer, anybody that's looking for a, a fun adventure movie, and if you like Channing Tatum, then watch this movie because you will probably love it. His stuff just didn't connect with me. And so that's why I got a two. But I, I honestly, I purposely think that I will be in the minority. I think this is kind of like an easy three across the board for the majority of people out there. I think this is a movie that I think – Honestly, I think once this hits a streamer, be it Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, who I don't know who who owns the film, so whoever gets it, I think this is a movie that's gonna do really well. Like it's it's just a perfectly enjoyable movie to put on like a Friday night and watch with your significant other and have a, a couple really good laughs and enjoy some like some kind of rollicking madcap adventures and then just revel in the absolute glory that is Brad Pitt. <laughs> He's pretty great. He, he he's unbelievable in this yeah. movie. He's so now the uh, well, I shouldn't say now because he's been like this for three years now. But the Academy Award winning, uh, yes, the, the Oscar winning Brad Pitt, yes. Um, there's two two years he's been like that because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out in 2019 and he won in 2020. There's kind of like a B plot in this movie. Um. Regarding uh, Sandra Bullock's um, publisher, um, character's name is Beth, uh, played by Divine Joy Randolph. I, I don't know who she is or what she's like famous for. I guess I could quickly look it up here. Um, it's rough. Like her scenes, they kind of have those office Christmas party. I think I kind of remember her from that. Um. Oh, she was on some TV shows. Oh, a lot of TV shows. I don't recognize any of them. Oh, she was in Only Murders in the Building. That was a big deal for a bit. I never saw Dolomite as my name. It was good. I don't remember her at all. Yeah. Anyways, okay. She has those moments in the film where, you know, you just kind of turn the camera on and say, hey, just go with it. The kind of stuff where you would get gold from, say, someone like Robin Williams. Yeah. You get tin from her. Oh no! It, you're just like, oh please, cut away. <laughs> this is this was supposed to be funny, and it's She's not. just drowning on screen. Yeah, just treading water, trying to think of anything funny to say. One of the one of the enjoyments I did get from watching The Lost City is I was uh, sitting next to my brother-in-law, a man I love and adore, Casey Ryan, who could easily tell that I was not having the best of time so he would purposely laugh a little bit harder at everything and then would always say i love this movie <laughs> i'm having such a great time so that made that that did increase my enjoyment of the film a little bit to let, could, just to let you know yeah. hey one of us is having a good time here yes. and you can live vicariously a little bit yes what a good guy yeah he's a he's a pretty good guy uh but yeah lost city it's a two out of five for me but i i assure you everyone else I, I I can almost guarantee that 
pretty much everyone else will get enjoyment from this movie. That's my, uh, that's what I've been watching, Sam. Okay. You have some things that you've been watching. Yeah, I wanted to at least bring up a couple of these. Uh, so at, uh, after much anticipation and much time waiting for me to uh, to have watched a couple of Marvel shows, I did get to watch WandaVision front to back. We're fi- we're finished WandaVision. <laughs> the look on Manny's face right now is amazing. Holy fuck balls! Pure shock. Holy fuck balls! <laughs> uh, blends the style of of classic sitcoms with the MCU, in which Wanda Maximoff and Vision, two superpowered beings living their ideal suburban lives, begin to suspect that everything is not as it seems uh i really didn't know what to expect with wandavision i kind of knew uh that this was one that played with genre conventions and a lot of the marketing material kind of has a lot of these uh 60s 50s sitcom vibes so i wasn't really sure what to expect as far as a plot was concerned i wasn't sure how they were going to integrate that in the mcu and i went in thankfully not having anything spoiled even after having waited so long to to have watched this show nice all that I really knew is what you had told me, which is that you need to give it a chance. You need yeah. to get need to, to the end, end of episode three. Yeah, get to the end of episode three, and they'll really start to show you what the show is about. Honestly, even with that caveat, I really enjoyed the first three episodes. Me too. The first three episodes are a lot of fun. Yes. And if it was just a full season of that, I would have been on board. I, w- I would have watched the whole thing and had a great time. We're like... Paul Bettany and um, Elizabeth Olsen are so good have, at recreating that era. And the way that they insert jokes about their powers and jokes about the MCU in general, the way that they insert those little tidbits into that framework mm-hmm. is actually really fresh and cool. Yeah. And it, it worked for me completely. S- same. Oh, I'm so <laughs> glad to hear that. Wicked. Yeah. Yeah. I had a really great time with this show. It, it worked so well, as a matter of fact, that when it started getting away from that, I felt myself getting a little worried. I felt myself being like, oh, like this was working for me so well. I really hope that we don't stray too far from this format. And you know what? The plot of the show after that uh, is still really enjoyable mm-hmm. and uh, and goes in a direction that I wasn't really expecting. And sorry, I just want to double check. You finished the series? Finished the series. Okay. Yeah. Or I assume as much. There's only one season of this, right? Correct. Okay, cool. Yes, so okay. then, yeah, we're finished. Okay, good. Um. So, yeah, I wasn't sure well, – let me say this. I wasn't sure what time period this took place in. I huh? I was of the assumption it happened earlier in the timeline. Pre-Infinity pre War? Yes. Okay. I was of the impression, uh, like, you know the moment in Infinity War where they've kind of been hiding out together? Yeah. I just kind of made the assumption that this took place in that timeline. Uh-huh. For Kind of obvious reasons if you've seen Endgame. Are we are we scared to spoil? I mean, I kind of am, but like I assume I'm the last person on planet Earth to have seen this show. So, no, Uh, well, you're 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 trying to avoid spoilers in Endgame. Yes. Oh, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody on planet Earth has seen Endgame. Anybody who cares to, anyway. So you don't need to. Are you worried that by spoiling something in Endgame, you're going to spoil the show? This is the problem with talking about the MCU, isn't it? It's just so. <laughs> like everything's so deeply interconnected. I un- okay, I understand. But you, you get where I'm coming from. And I think if, okay. if you're listening if you, and you've seen all of these properties, you probably get it. Because of events in Endgame, I didn't assume that this could have possibly taken place after Endgame. Fair. I did, I, and then the fact that it does was it was kind of a pleasant surprise, and I really liked the way they, they explained that. Yeah. It's not a huge twist, so no. we did kind of spoil that there, but trust me, that that's... Yeah, that's like tip of the iceberg for yeah. the show. Yeah. Um, 
I think Elizabeth Olsen does some spectacular acting yes in this show thank you and she she does everything like the when she's doing the 50s housewife thing she's really funny and it works and when she's doing the really serious uh the scarlet witch stuff and having her emotional moments towards the end of the series uh, and she breaks down over a couple of things and has a couple of good like cry moments those moments are great um so we sort of work through this progression of different sitcoms and she plays every different style uh, perfectly to a T. She completely understood the assignment in this show and she knocked it out of the fucking park. Knocked it out of the fucking park. And same with Paul Bettany. Not that Paul Bettany has uh, a ton to do as Vision all the time. Like, whereas Wanda kind of evolves with the show within the show. Yeah. Like, she kind of, she's playing the 50s housewife, then she's playing the 60s housewife, and she kind of, her character slowly changes throughout. Vision is always Vision. Yeah. And that works for yes. the show and I'm fine with it. Um, so I, I guess I can't really talk about the show too much more without spoiling the shit out of it, mm-hmm. but I really loved the concept. I thought it was really unique and fresh and I love uh, seeing the MCU take risks. Yeah. Uh, it's something, it's so easy to get a little complacent at this point in the MCU, just like uh, anything that we put out is going to make a bazillion dollars and get a ton of eyes on it. But it's shows like these that keep people guessing and keep it fresh and that are going to keep people coming back to it. So I'm really happy the show exists. And I had a fucking blast with, with WandaVision. So it was very good. And I think uh, it comes from mainly, well, the writing, first of all. Yeah. Uh, and the acting of Olsen and Bettany are, is spectacular. Olsen is honestly like unreal. Yeah. Like we're, I'm, and I'm not even saying this as a fanboy. This is, it's a TV show. This is like Emmy level. Yeah. Like if she if she doesn't get a nomination, I will. I want to see the other performances mm-hmm. because she's, like I remember watching. This, I'm like, this is shocking. Like shockingly good. Hmm. And that's no shot at Olsen. She's no. been. Uh, perfectly fine throughout the MCU and all the other stuff that she has. We really liked her in Wind River as well. Yes, yeah. Uh, I mean, not that she was the best part of that movie, but she was, uh, again, perfectly understood the assignment. Um, also should give a shout out to Catherine Hahn, who, yes. who I know primarily as a comedic actress, and she does have a lot of comedic moments in the show, but again, understood the assignment when it came down to it, and when she has... Um, when she's breaking out of the sitcom mom mm-hmm. role... Uh, she still is knocking those parts out. A lot of people in this show are kind of playing like eight or nine versions of the same character. Yep. And it would be really easy to drop the ball on a few of them. But everybody came to work knowing what was what, understanding the assignment. And I, I had a blast. Uh, and Catherine Hahn, uh, in particular, is like really, really funny yes. through the first like two thirds of this series. And then uh, when, when shit gets serious in general towards the end. Uh, she she does well in those scenes as well, which I don't want to say as a surprise because I think she's a talented actress, but mm-hmm. it's just not what she's known for, let's yeah. say. And she does a great job. I have two things I want to talk about. One is going to be a massive spoiler, and okay. I don't care. We're going to talk about it, so I'm going to give a spoiler warning. But before I do, one of my favorite things about this show is the line that Vision gives is, what is grief if not love persevering? Yeah. Oh, man. That is incredible I, dialogue. I think I almost cried <laughs> in that scene. I was like, what is happening? Yeah. What is going on? Yeah. Okay, so I want to say, if you haven't seen WandaVision, I'm gonna I'm I'm about to spoil something kind of big. So give us about five minutes in three, two, one. I'll go fuck yourself. <laughs> <clears throat> Did you recognize the actor who played Quicksilver, who played Pietro? 
Uh, I did, but uh, not because... Sorry, let, let me uh, let me backtrack here. I have seen X-Men Days of Future Past, okay. which is where he's from originally, correct? Yes. Yeah, uh, I have not seen that movie since theaters. Okay. So I knew who he was, let's say. Okay. So when he shows up at the end of that episode, mm-hmm. I fucking shit myself because yeah. my first thought is, this is how they're bringing the fucking X-Men into the fucking universe, right. the MCU. I was so fucking excited, and then when they flip it, that he, it's not that Quicksilver. Mm-hmm. I won't lie; I was a little sad. It did hurt my feelings a little bit, but for like a good two weeks, because they released one episode a week, I had like my heart was a flutter with mm-hmm. excitement. So I just want to touch on that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad you liked it. Are you planning on watching the other series? Uh, I'll have to see. Not immediately. Okay. Uh, I do. I do still want to watch all of them. Uh, I guess Captain, Cap, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier is yeah. what I'm trying to say. Falcon and Winter Soldier would probably, that's the first chronologically, right? So it would make sense to watch that next, I guess. I'll be honest. I can probably skip it. Okay. I. There's nothing in there. Are we still under that five minutes? We're still yeah, we're spoilers? under five minutes okay. for once. Do you remember the post credit scene from Black yeah, Widow? Yeah, with uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Yes. This is her introduction. Okay. That's literally the only thing of importance to this point that is in this series. While we're still under the WandaVision spoiler umbrella, yeah. I just want to get this out there. Only Vision could be set up to get into a battle with his self, with his evil self. And instead of a fist fight and laser battle to the death... Out philosophies himself. Logic. Yeah, he he gets into a debate and out logics himself into not fighting. Yes. (laughs) That was that was one of my favorite moments of the series. Honestly, I I was laughing. I don't know if it was supposed to be funny, but I found it great that they decided to go that route. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I did it. I did. I really did. Yeah. In all honesty, you can probably skip Falcon and Winter Soldier. It's perfectly enjoyable. I'm actually in the midst of a marvel tv show rewatch with my friend holly mm. and we literally just finished falcon winter soldier this week so uh you've seen loki as well I- i've seen them all okay yeah holly hasn't seen any okay. so we did wandavision then we did falcon the winter soldier which we just finished now we're moving on to loki which is chef's kiss amazing really good okay. and then hawkeye chef's kiss amazing okay I I will get back to you on whether I'm going to be watching these soon. I would like to watch them eventually, okay. but WandaVision was the main one that I would have that I wanted to cross off the left list. With Doctor good... Strange coming, you, yeah, it's prob- pr- probably pretty much a must watch. Okay, cool. Uh, so that was WandaVision. Okay, uh, what do I have next on there? Next is one that uh, decided to take a risk on uh, after much deliberation and uh, much anticipation. Let's say. I watched the Netflix original Metal Lords. Oh, shit, right. Two friends try to form a heavy metal band with a cellist for a battle of the bands. Uh, so for those who don't know me, I am a metal fan. And uh, this movie is saturated. Some may say oversaturated with metal culture. Uh, it has references to anybody who's anybody in the metal community. And uh, I should also add... This is written by D.B. Weiss <laughs> of Game of Thrones Season 8 Infamy. Well, 
seasons one through eight don't. Yeah, but it, like, let's let's be honest here. As soon as George R. R. Martin's source material runs out in Game of Thrones, that's when the show begins its slow decline, and then a not so slow decline at the end there. Um, so to say that I was going into this with mixed expectations is kind of underselling it. The metal community has not been kind to this movie. I know that Manny did not like this movie. I know it's not getting the greatest film reviews. And with DB Weiss connected to it, I was... Um, Ooh, that Metascore is higher than I expected. Yeah, so it's got a 59 Metascore. Um, let, let me say this. This is this is not a terrible movie. I enjoyed it. I, I had a pretty good time and uh, and had some good giggles. A lot of the enjoyment was uh, kind of in relatability to the protagonist. So the protagonist learns how to play metal drums, and he has this friend who is kind of the the real metalhead. He's the one who's just, like, neck deep in the culture, love, knows all the bands, knows all the players, knows all the history, knows all the guitar solos, and he's just trying to get his friend, who is our protagonist. Kevin. Uh, Kevin. Uh, he's trying... Uh, so the, the, uh, the best friend character is a guy named Hunter, and our protagonist is Kevin, who is just kind of getting into this community yep. and just kind of getting into this role. He's not really a, a metal fan in the beginning. He just his friends into it, and he's kind of trying it on. It mm-hmm. seems like, and as as it develops, he slowly uh, begins to like it a lot more. He gets more involved in the culture. Gets uh, uh, you know gets really into the drums. So a lot a large portion of my enjoyment from this movie personally is my relationship to that story because i had basically the exact same thing happen to me at a a very similar age when i was probably a little bit younger i'm gonna say like 12 or 13 okay uh actually i started playing drums at age 11 ish and my brother nick really got me into metal around that age as well just at the time i was starting to learn drums so um my brother was my hunter in this movie (laughs) But the difference, and this comes to the problem with the movie, the difference between my brother and Hunter is that my brother is not a huge fucking asshole. Yeah. Hunt- my, my brother, love you, Nick, is a moderate asshole. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But, like, jokes aside, the main problem with this movie is that Hunter is insufferable. He is the worst friend imaginable. He's putting Kevin in many situations that he's not comfortable with he's condescending and mean and cruel throughout the entire movie for no reason and the movie not spoiling it does not even come close to redeeming him it celebrates him it celebrates him it makes it come off like he did the right thing by being such a fucking prick to kevin and it kind of makes the argument that kevin could learn a thing or two by trying to be like hunter and it's frankly irresponsible um being the uh the representative of the metal community on this uh, on this podcast i will say this i know people like hunter yeah there's a for all of the good things about metal and that culture uh one of my favorite things about it is that there's no such thing as outcasts everybody's included there are plenty of people in that community who were discarded and abused and forgotten by other groups and by other people who can find a home in that community and for that reason i think that the metal community also has a lot of elitists in it a lot of people who think that people who aren't in the in group are lesser than them because they listen to that other kind of music they listen to pop things that things that are more accessible and hunter is a metal elitist in the worst fucking way 
and he represents everything I hate about this community. I I loathe people like this yep. who look down upon other people who have interests slightly other than their own. So very similar to every fanatic fan base of every pop culture. Yeah, but when are we going to have a chance to talk about any fanatical fan bases on this show? Oh, oh wait. Oh, oh wait. We're going to be talking about one today. Um, but yeah, I'd say that was my main problem with this movie. I, I related to Kevin a lot. So the fact that the guy that I related to was being bullied basically by his best friend did not feel great for me. So uh, that that is my basic summary of the movie. A lot of my enjoyment came from relating to Kevin and seeing him fall in love with the same music that I fell in love with yeah. and fall in love with the same instrument that I fell in love with and fall in love with the same bands that I fall in love with. Even Hunter has all these band flags and posters on his wall. I have a lot of not only the same bands, but like the same flags. I have a lot of the same stuff that these guys have. So it was really cool seeing that represented on screen. Uh, but the problem is the writing. Shocker. <laughs> the, uh, the, the writing in particular of the character of Hunter is not great. I think the writing of just about everything else is at least fine. I really like the, uh, the budding romance between Kevin and Emily for the most part. Mm -hmm. I think they're very cute together. Yeah. I'll also point out that uh, part of the conflict of the movie, or maybe the main conflict of the movie, is Hunter does not want Emily to be the bassist in their band because she doesn't actually play bass. She plays cello. And I would just like to point out there that I saw a metal band in concert like a month ago who has a cellist. <laughs> uh, so there's that. Uh, that's my review of Metal Lords. Manny, I'll let you take over because I know you I knew you saw this as well. I yep. gave this a three. Yeah. That is a homer three. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Totally so fine. please take it away. I Well, I don't really have much to add. The only thing, Hunter is a complete asshole, mm -hmm. but I won't lie. That scene when they're playing D&D &D and he rips apart that fucking guy. Yeah. Happy in stitches. <laughs> It fucking killed me. Yeah. It fucking killed me. Yeah. I won't lie. He's an asshole in that scene, mm -hmm. but I was on his side. I, I'll also add, by the way, that the performance by Adrian Greensmith is actually pretty good. Oh, it's a great, it, it's a great performance. Yeah, but he, the writing the, the is the problem. The character is a dick. Yeah. Yes. One hundred percent. I had a, I had a decent time. Basically, what I was most curious about. We're gonna spoil this movie too. Mm -hmm. Minor spoiler. For Metal Lords and 321, go fuck yourself. I don't have the connection to metal music like you did. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to know if the cameo of those metal people in the hot tub scene was exciting for you. Or oh, not. I, I recognized them all instantly. I recognized okay. all, the second that Scott Ian from Anthrax showed yep. his face on screen. I was like, holy fuck, Scott Ian from Anthrax. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, because I was, I was maybe not the same level, or it could be the same level. Mm -hmm. But like when they showed up, I immediately thought of you. I'm like, if... Sam decides to watch this. Mm -hmm. I wonder if these cameos will excite him the same way as, say, Stan Lee's cameos excite me. Yeah, not to that level. <coughs> um, like, on the example of Anthrax, for instance, they're one of the only old-school thrash metal bands that I really didn't get into. So while I knew who it was, it wasn't, like, a huge thing for me. Uh, Tom Morello was also uh, in that scene. He's the guitarist for Rage Against the Machine. And he's, I believe, also one of the producers on the movie. Mm. Um, so that was pretty cool uh, seeing him in there as well. I listened to Rage Against the Machine a little bit more. Um, I, I can't remember who else is in that scene. Oh, wasn't there a guitarist from Metallica? Am I right? Perhaps. I, I honestly don't remember. Okay. Um, but uh, regardless, <clears throat> I, I, I did recognize the people in that scene. And I, uh, you know, I, I was... 
I won't say overjoyed. Okay. But I was uh I was like, oh nice, they got these guys. Tickled? <laughs> tickled. I was tickled. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. I was whelmed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh okay. And yeah, so you gave it a three out of five. Yeah, three out of five. There is actually I know that I said I only wanted to have two before the main one that we wanted to talk about. There is one that I just remembered that I actually uh, never got a chance to talk about because we talked about our ninety three mm-hmm. uh, stuff last week. So I just wanted to give a I'm not gonna go too in depth on it, but I want to quickly just touch on this horror movie that I saw at uh, Kamloops Film Society a couple weeks back. Mm. Uh, it's called X. Oh. Uh, in 1979, a group of young filmmakers set out to make an adult film in rural Texas. But when their reclusive elderly hosts catch them in the act, the cast find themselves fighting for their lives. Uh, like I said, I won't get into this too much. This is an A24 film. Uh, I didn't know anything about it before going in other than it was getting rave reviews. I see now that it has a 79 Metascore, which for a horror film gets me very excited anytime anything gets any kind of uh, mainstream critical acclaim mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a horror film, which is a little more underground. Um, this was a fun slasher. If you're, if this was definitely an homage to the old school thrasher, uh, old school slasher genre. Uh, it definitely has homage to you know, your Texas Chainsaw Massacres and, uh, and uh, Friday the 13th of the world. It's very much in that vein. A lot of, uh, a lot of, gratuitous sex and nudity and violence uh while also breaking a few of the tropes of the genre so while i am not a huge horror guy i I say that i went to this with my brother we had a blast and uh it's good old-fashioned fun Uh, if you can find x and you're a horror movie fan i recommend you go see it because i'm not a fan of the genre and i i thought it was great there was Mm -hmm. a lot of interesting things done with it some of which like there, there are moments in this movie where I'm just purely repulsed. <laughs> 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 that I'm sure other people, uh, other people enjoyed. But you can tell the filmmakers were having a lot of fun, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, anytime that's the case and it translates on screen, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. So that's all I really want to say about X. I gave it a four. Actually, I had a really Ooh. good, I had a really good time. Nice. So uh, there's that. Speaking of violent movies. <laughs> Here we go. It is time. <laughs> Manny's, been, Manny's been waiting patiently to discuss this movie go. with me. We've both... Neither of us had any plans to watch this movie in the short term because we didn't expect it to come to Kamloops. Then lo and behold, uh, Manny posted in our group chat a few few weeks ago now. Not, no, this was Friday. This was Friday? Oh my God, time flies so fast. Yeah. yeah. Manny, Manny posted in our group chat a week ago uh, that he's watching The Northman. And I freaked out. I'm like, how are you watching this? This doesn't make any sense. This doesn't come to Kamloops. Turns out it is being shown at the Kamloops Cineplex. Yes. Or at least it was. I don't know how long or if it still is or whatever. Um, So The Northman. From visionary director Robert Eggers comes The Northman, an action-filled epic that follows a young Viking prince on his quest to avenge his father's murder. So... Robert Eggers. I don't have his filmography in front of me right now, but I do believe this is his third feature film. Yep, uh, it is. First is The Witch, which, yep. uh, if I'm not mistaken, Manny, you didn't see? Correct. I no, did. No desire. I did, and I liked it. I, I think I would give it a four. It's actually uh, something I've been considering uh, throwing on the movie club uh, as a pick. You're an asshole. Yeah, I know. You're but, a fucking uh, asshole. Uh, his, uh, his follow-up film, The Lighthouse... Um, in addition to The Witch, got rave critical reviews. Uh, Manny, if I recall correctly, you gave it a 2 out of 5? 
The lighthouse? Yeah. No, I would have given it at least a three. At least a three? I remember you saying you didn't totally get it. Yeah, I definitely didn't fucking get it. Yeah, there's. it's a very artsy movie. Very uh, single location sort of movie with two guys just being told to act. Uh, I think I gave it a four. The fact that the guy who made those movies, keeping in mind that I've seen The Witch, which goes to some pretty fucked up places as a horror movie, uh, The Northman was hyped up as uh, a Viking epic. And all I all I ever heard about this movie going in without knowing anything about the plot was that it is violent as fuck. That was all I ever heard about it, is that it is insanely violent, and I didn't know the plot or anything. Manny, just how in-depth do we want to go on the plot? Do we want to give another mini spoiler warning here for The Northman? Yes. Spoiler warning for The Northman if you haven't seen it. Three, two, one, go fuck yourself. Give us, I don't know, five minutes. <laughs> Actually, give us ten minutes. We're probably going to spend some time on this. Oh, I didn't give it a rating. I didn't log it. You didn't log it? No. I, well, you gave it a rating in, in our group chat when you posted about it. I did? You did. Way back then? For The Lighthouse. Oh, for The Lighthouse. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about The Northman. No, Northman. <laughs> I can give my rating whenever you want. Yeah. I'm pretty sure uh, you gave The Lighthouse. I know that I said a two, it's but not, probably, it's probably not a three. higher than a three. Probably a three. Yeah. Yeah. No, it had to be a three because I didn't hate it. I just didn't mm. get it. Yeah. Um, I didn't know anything about The Northman, and it was around the time that Ethan Hawke died that I went, oh, it's Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I, I I didn't wind up typing up a review for the podcast group chat because I wanted all of the thoughts to kind of be fresh for Manny because I knew how excited he was about the movie and I knew that he really liked it. But uh -huh. if I was going to type up a review, I was going to begin it with the phrase, not bad for a ripoff of The Lion King. <laughs> which is a, a ripoff Which is Hamlet, yeah. <laughs> which, I, which I thought you would enjoy. Anyway, yeah, so as soon as I understood that this was basically Hamlet, I was like, okay, that's cool. Hamlet in the hands of Robert Eggers. That is the pitch line. I'm, I'm excited for it. And it should be noted that this is actually based off of a, uh, an actual, Nor is it a Norse myth or, uh, Norse, yeah, yeah, of an actual Norse myth as well. Oh, which I guess would also be what Hamlet is based off of. Maybe I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, Robert Eggers is a fucked up individual, and puts violence on screen like nobody else. This is one of the best-looking films I have seen in a long time. Uh, right from the get-go, of I think there's a sort of a, a crane shot or a drone shot of a bunch of ships uh, going into shore right at the beginning, and I just went, "Oh boy, this is this is going to be a feast for the senses. This is about to, if nothing else, like forgetting the plot, forgetting all the Hamlet stuff, forgetting the performances. This movie is a work of art yes. on screen. Yes. It is a breathtakingly gorgeous film." In every scene. I'm going to say this, and I'm gonna. it's going to kind of rip off of what I said earlier last year when I watched Raya and the Last Dragon and gave it a 5 out of 5. And I said, if this does not win Best Animated Feature, that's a good thing because that means there's going to be better films than this. If this does not get a cinematography nod at the Oscars, that's a good thing because I want to see five films that look better than this. Mm-hmm. This is majestically beautiful. This is jaw-droppingly gorgeously shot. Uh, I'll also say that according to some behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, so I, I don't have it pulled up in front of me. Let me see if I can actually find it on the IMDb page. I'm trying to find the budget. I want to say it was like 90 million. 90 million. 90 million. Yep. So 
one of the reasons that I really wanted to go see this in theaters is I wanted to reward the studio that made the decision to give a, a visionary filmmaker who let's say has a, uh, a particular following yes. or uh, what, what am I exactly trying to say here? He's a little more niche. He's not very mainstream. Well, he's only made this is only his third film and, and the, the other two are small little independent films. Yeah, small little indie films with that are insanely violent and sexual. Uh, and yeah, yeah, just small indie films that are insanely violent <laughs> and sexual. And somebody looked at those movies, really liked them, and went, yeah, I want to give this guy $90 million to make a Viking epic. So I was, I wanted to go support that decision. Yeah. I wanted to go put my dollars on the line and say, like, I, I want more of this, please. Please continue yes. to do that. These are the Same. kinds of movies... I want to support, and I feel that other film fans should go to support. Yes, because seeing, like, this is so beautifully shot. I am so thankful I got to see this on a big screen. Mm -hmm. Like, don't get me wrong. If I saw it here at home for the first time, I'd still be like, this was beautifully shot. But I don't think it would overwhelm me the way it did as it did in the theater. Mm -hmm. Like, I was just, like, like, lost in a haze of love. Over the look of this film. It was beautiful. Uh, while I don't have a way to write them into the plot more, I would have loved more Ethan Hawke and Willem Dafoe. Uh, they're probably the two most talented actors in this movie, and mm -hmm. I could have used a lot more of them. I don't have a, a better way of utilizing them in the plot. Like, they were in it. Their characters were in it the exact right amount. Yeah. I just love the actors too much, and I love those performances too much. Willem Dafoe, for a very small amount of screen time, I mean, are we already talking about Best Supporting Actor nomination? Not I, a chance. Not a chance? Not a chance. Too, too little? Way too little. Ah, shit. I would have loved Way it. Way too little. It's so good, though. Yeah. It's so good. No, not a chance. <laughs> not a chance. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, not a chance. Um... I really don't know uh, what else to say off the bat. I didn't make an in-depth review of this movie, so I didn't really organize my thoughts in Fine. the same way that I would have liked. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to heap praise on outside? <laughs> I, the cinematography is item one, two, and three on the list for me. It's really, Score. really good. Mm -hmm. Score's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. The uh, the inclusion of war drums and throat singing was so cool yeah. and such it set the mood so perfectly. It was so very ominous. Man. Yeah, that is that's a great point. Uh, do you have the name of the guy who does the score? No, no, no. Oh, uh, well, I'll, I'll see if I can find it. Okay. Uh, I would also like to heap incredible amount of praise on Nicole Kidman. She is fantastic mm -hmm. in this movie. Uh, the villain is played by uh, I'm gonna mispronounce his name. Uh, uh, Kleis Bang, Kleis Bang, probably mispronounced. Um, as Fulnir. Absolutely fucking unreal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely unreal. Uh, you were right, Ethan Hawke. Fantastic, uh, Alexander Skarsgård. Wow, <laughs> wow. Uh, both his uh, physical transformation into this Viking god man, mm -hmm. and his animalistic portrayal of rage personified. Animalistic is not even really a metaphor that's not e like that's like, if you haven't seen this movie you can't possibly know how accurate that is yes <laughs> there is a lot of um metaphor and comparison like calling him a wolf man and uh having him howl like it, it they're very clearly trying to draw this connection between him and an animal yes uh 
in my write-up, I said this was a mix of Braveheart, 300, Gladiator, and Conan the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. This movie is jaw-droppingly amazing. It's – well, actually, I can tell you right now. As of right now, it's my number one movie of the year. Mm-hmm. But I think I've only watched like maybe eight or nine, and only out of those eight or nine, only two would probably even have a chance of making my top ten of the year. <clears throat> I love this movie. I love this movie, and if I – if honestly, if I had more free time, I would probably go see it again. I love this movie. And I'll again, I'll say this. If this doesn't make my top 10 of the year. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because <laughs> if I find 10 other movies that I enjoyed more than this, I'm going to be I, – I, I'm pretty sure you remember. I said, I'm like, I think this, is gonna, this could be a year to remember for film. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I'll be honest, right now, it's – between this and the Batman, I'm, I'm riding high. Which I still haven't seen. I'm sorry. Oh, what the fuck? Why don't you come over? We'll fucking watch it. Okay, deal. Fuck, yeah. invite me. <laughs> All right, I gotta find some time. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. All right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'll have you over. Okay, you, because you don't have Crave, do you? I don't. Oh, yeah. Okay, I do. It's, it's on Crave right now. Well, let's fucking go. Fucking, yeah. <laughs> fucking, yeah. Okay. That's a, well, we can't do a double feature because that movie's three hours long. Oh, uh, it is? Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, Northman. Five out of five for me. I know it's not a five for you. I gave it a four. Yeah. Uh, it it for me personally in that movie theater, it didn't have that extra, that extra emotional oomph that what whatever that feeling is where the credits start to roll and you're just overcome with a sensation of like, wow, I can't believe I just got to watch this movie. That's what like, that was me. Like that that feeling wasn't present. Not there's a ton wrong with the movie. I, I can't really point to anything why I didn't have that experience. You gave it a four. It, yeah. It's a, Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with a four. Yeah. If you gave it a three, I'd be like, wow, we were on different pages. No, no. That this, would stun me. What, I think the highlights of this movie for me, I mean, like I said, items one, two, and three. This is If, if this isn't the best looking movie of the year, we're in for a treat. That shot when it's early in the movie when Al... Uh, Alexander Starshard or Amleth? Definitely not Hamlet. No. Amleth. <laughs> when Amleth is with the other Vikings and they raid that fort city, mm-hmm. that one take, as it, as you literally watch him climb a wall with an axe. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. And then you just follow the battle in one fucking take. All of that chaos, I, the skill to pull that off is mind-blowing to me. Mm-hmm. Eggers is someone I'm going to be watching going forward. I uh, can't believe I can't believe you watched this movie and The Lighthouse, and you have no desire to watch The Witch. I, I do have a desire to watch The Witch. It's a fucking horror film. I don't like horror. Okay, all right. <laughs> but I'll probably end up watching it because this guy's skill as a director is just. I I will predict that you would not enjoy The Witch on the same level, even close to this. Why the fuck would I want to watch it then? Yeah. You don't want to watch any movie that doesn't reach this level of enjoyment? No, I'm just like, why would I want to watch a fucking horror movie that I'm not going to love? Anyways, whatever. Because you would appreciate it. Appreciation is where I was going with that. Uh, yeah, Northman gets a four for me. I'm open to the idea that it's a five. Uh, uh, what was I just going to say? The Northman, uh, according to Robert Eggers, the Northman 
actually had a lot cut from it. There was some there was some battling with the uh, production company, if I'm not mistaken, on this. There was a lot cut from this, and he actually had a lot more material. Um, so, Manny, we may get a director's cut of this movie one day. <laughs> um, speaking of filmmakers that we enjoy, uh, there is a filmmaker. Remember how I, I've I don't know if I ever discussed it on air, but I've we kind of went through a list of all the incredible filmmakers that have movies coming out this year. Mm-hmm. I actually recently heard of another one of a filmmaker that I know that you really like, and he has a movie coming out this year as well. Go on. Ari Aster has another movie coming out this year. <gasps> is it another horror movie? Uh, yeah, it says comedy, drama, horror. Oh, let's go. Joaquin Phoenix and Parker Posey. Parker Posey is... An actress you would probably recognize because she's been in a lot of stuff. Parker Posey, let's see. Uh, IMDb, what's she known for? Known for Scream 3, Superman Returns, Blade Trinity, Dazed and Confused. Nathan Lane's in it. Oh what? Oh man. <laughs> one of can I can I safely say one of our favorite underrated comedic performances of all time belongs yes. to Nathan Lane? Yes. The Birdcage? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, the movie that Ari Aster's got coming out is called um, uh, Disappointment Boulevard. No release date, but it's expected this year. And again, to my knowledge, I don't have Ari Aster's filmography in front of me right now, but this will be his third effort after uh, or sorry his third um feature length effort i think he's done some shorts as well Correct. uh but after hereditary and midsummer uh both of which i really liked yeah really really liked yeah Man, that tony collette performance in hereditary hey yeah yeah that's why when i heard that ariasta had a new movie i wanted to point out for you Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so kindly. Uh, yeah, so that's that's all we've been watching this week. Uh, at a at a brisk hour into the show, uh, now now let's talk about the other film we've been watching this week. The other film, which I'm sure we'll also have a lot to discuss. Mm. The movie is Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, released December eighteenth, two thousand fifteen. Directed by J.J. Abrams, written by Lawrence Kasten, J.J. Abrams, and Michael Arndt. This starring Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, and Oscar Isaac. Has a Metascore of 80. It went 0 for 5 at the Oscars that year. It was nominated for Best Film Editing, Best Original Score, Best Sound Mixing, Best Sound Editing, and Best Visual Effects. It had a budget of $245 million. Pinky to the side of your mouth, please. <laughs> it grossed... Domestically, domestically, $936 million. Holy fucking shit. Worldwide, $2.06 billion. There's the pinky again. Now, quick question for you, since we're at this point. The $936 million domestically, where do you think that ranks all time? (sighs) That is tough. Domestically, um... Not adjusted for inflation, I guess. Correct. Just raw dollars. Raw, raw dog in it. We're, we're go, going in raw. Yeah. I am going to say, I don't know, fifth? Number one, my friend. Is it really? It is number one. Oh, shit. By like 60 million. Wow. I would have assumed some of the Avengers ones would have. That's uh, number two. Yeah. And then. Where, where do you yeah. think the $2.06 billion worldwide ranks? Is that like fifth? Fourth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, the plot. As a new threat to the galaxy rises, Rey, a desert scavenger, and Finn, an ex-stormtrooper, must join Han Solo and Chewbacca to search for the one hope 
of restoring peace. So, I want to start doing this. And I, I, remember, I remember myself a little note. This movie came out in 2015. I'm fully aware that you watched it in 2015. Or perhaps, since it's a December release, perhaps 2016. No, I watched it. I, I think I was opening weekend for this okay. one. I want you to take us back to 2015 Samuel, your thoughts leading up to it, and your impressions afterwards, and then give us your spoiler. That, that's a good bit. I like that bit. So um, for those who know me and who, for those who have listened to our other Star Wars episodes in the past, uh, I grew up in prime prequel era. Uh, so I was born 1996. Phantom Menace comes out in 99. I'm barely old enough to remember the first time I watched Phantom Menace. Uh, and I'm barely old enough to remember the other times I watched the prequels, but they were on in my house a lot growing up. For me, the term Star Wars was more synonymous with, uh, with names like Qui-Gon Jinn than it was with, and I'm trying to think of an obscure person or Greedo. Greedo. Thank you. Yeah. The Jar Jar Binkses of the world were more well-known than Jabba the Hutt. Not more beloved, but more well-known. I did. That makes me so sad. With that said, I also did watch the original trilogy quite a lot as a kid. Mm -hmm. Just, just after, I was introduced to them. Probably, you know, nine or ten years old, as opposed to five or six years old. Um, So sad right now. So there was a lot of Star Wars in my house growing up. Let's just say. Um, So there was a lot of speculation about what these movies could possibly be about. Uh, As I was just in 2015, uh, becoming a little more interested in film. I was uh, just starting to watch all the Oscar nominees every year, or as many as I could. Um, And I I was excited for this, but also, at this point in my life, my appreciation for Star Wars was starting to wane. That initial love that I had with it, that inspired me to watch those movies so many times, while that that started high, it was beginning to wane a little bit as I got a little bit more into film and realized, oh, these prequels might not be as good as I remember them to be. Um, there's also, I've shouted this series out a couple times on the show in our other Star Wars episodes, but there was this really good YouTube series called What If The Prequels Were Good? Three-part series, obviously. Um, I can't remember the name of the channel, but this guy basically rewrites the prequels from scratch and has all these storyboards up on the screen, and he makes them way better, and I was a little bit embittered. <laughs> and <laughs> those came out before the sequels. So anyway... I think it's like December 19th, something like that, uh, 2015. I'm sitting down in my seat. All I'm hoping for is a reason for these movies to exist, basically. I was a little bit cynical about their existence. Disney, I believe, had just purchased the franchise. Yeah, Manny's holding up the number four right now. Four billion dollars. Four billion dollars. I'm not mistaken. Four point zero five billion dollars to George Lucas. So on the do they they just write a check? I don't. How do you do that? (laughs) Does your wrist get tired from writing all those zeros? Yeah. These are the things that I wonder, and we'll never know. I'm seriously curious. How did he get his four billion dollars? I don't know. Uh, so on the one hand. I am cynical that a greedy, faceless corporation like Disney now has their mitts on this franchise that I once really loved. On the other hand, I'm kind of excited to see the direction that it goes in, in the hands of somebody like J.J. Abrams, who I really liked from the Star Trek movies, as opposed to George Lucas, who's probably the sole person responsible for 
the lower quality of the prequels insofar as they are lower quality. We can have that debate, and we have had that debate. So I'm sitting there on opening day, Force Awakens rolls, and walking back to the parking lot after the fact, I was impressed. Have you heard the term? I think we've talked about the term phantom menacing before. No. Phantom menacing is what fans do when there's been such an overhyped movie uh, that they initially are just in love. It's like the honeymoon phase of the movie. Because the initial reviews for The Phantom Menace, as you recall, were glowing. They were glowing reviews. And as that initial honeymoon period wore off, there were some flaws revealed. Now, I'm not trying to imply that this movie is nearly as bad as The Phantom Menace, because it's not. This movie, in my opinion, is actually quite good. Um, But with every Star Wars property that's released now, as we get many of them in the 2010s and 2020s, uh, there's basically two reactions. There's the, oh my god, this franchise can do no wrong, and holy shit, this franchise has gone off the rails. And Star Wars fans, I think in particular, are notoriously, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Finicky? Not quite fair weather, because they always show up. Mm-hmm. But I don't know of another fan base that hates the property that they celebrate more than Star Wars fans. Maybe Cuck, ha- maybe Cuck fans. Okay, hey, hey. <laughs> cheap shot, but I'll allow it. Because <laughs> you know I'm right. Yeah. yeah. As a lifelong as a lifelong Canucks fan, you are absolutely correct. Yeah. But as far as like pop culture is okay. concerned, um, actually, Manny, another thing I have prepared for you here, um, I I've yet to actually share this. I prepared an impression of a Star Wars fan for you tonight. I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, This is my impression of a Star Wars fan uh, having just come out of any Star Wars movie been released. Here we go. Wah! Wah! Oh, it's not how I wanted it to be. Oh, it's not similar enough to the originals. Wah! Uh, That's that's my impression of a a Star Wars fan for you. Wow, I wasn't expecting (laughs) that. Uh, this is the movie. This is what I have written down. This is the movie that proved once and for all that Star Wars fans don't know what the fuck they want. Uh, I found this. I found the fallout from this movie to be really frustrating uh, because uh, the big fallout after the prequels was it does just doesn't feel like a Star Wars movie. It doesn't feel like the original trilogy. It's a little too political, too boring. There's not that zip, that zaniness, that uh, that levity. There, there, that fun is just vanished out of it. It doesn't feel like a Star Wars movie. So 100% we, true. So, which, is, which is a fair criticism. Yep. An absolutely fair criticism. But then we return to that initial feeling. No, it's too much like the originals now. So I guess what I'm trying to say is the main criticism levied at this movie is a fair one. And that is it's too much like A New Hope. <laughs> and I, I think that's a fair criticism. There's many similarities. This is the plot synopsis I wrote for The Force Awakens, if you would indulge me. Uh, it's a movie about a young, starry-eyed orphan with dreams of adventure, desperate to find their place in the universe, who leaves their desert home planet aboard the Millennium Falcon alongside a group of misfits, including Han Solo and Chewbacca. While our hero's past is initially shrouded in mystery, we will soon learn that they are Force-sensitive and come from a long line of Force users. Stopping briefly at a cantina, our main heroes soon team up with the Rebellion to destroy a weapon the size of a small planet. So there's a lot of beats there that are shared with A New Hope, is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, (laughs) that's just just tip of the iceberg. I wrote that while we were eating wings earlier. (laughs) So that was just like tip of the iceberg. But yes, there are a lot of similarities here. Um, So um, 
I, I have been talking for a decent amount. I'll let you chime in here. Um, but I will say that J.J. Abrams had an impossible task here to satisfy everybody. The Star Wars fans who felt like the prequels were uh, too dissimilar and the people who want us to tread new ground as Star Wars fans. He just had the impossible task of satisfying all these different factions. I think he did a pretty good job. I think the movie is, at the very least, competent and at a lot of places very effective in establishing the new aspects of the lore i think the new characters that we get are a lot of fun some of them have some retrodden properties from other characters yes but it's a fun adventure movie about space wizards and i'd love for us to all have a little fun with it and if for nothing else this movie brought back the fun in star wars and i refuse to apologize for enjoying that manny go ahead 2015 I was still clinging to my Star Wars fanhood I would endure oh the, the cough has come back I thought the cough syrup would have taken care of that so did I in 2015 I would consider myself a Star Wars fan I was excited for the release of The Force Awakens J.J. Abram was a director that I was thoroughly enjoying his um, remake of Star Trek was superb. I only saw the first two because I heard Beyond wasn't great, but I really liked both of them. Yep. JJ also made a movie that I fucking love called Super 8. Never saw it. I fucking love that movie. And so I was excited for him to tackle this. I was, of course, worried because... For those that remember last year, I have a disdain for the prequel trilogies. We had a lot of fun talking about we them. We sure did. <laughs> we sure did. And so I didn't want my hopes to get too high. When I left the theater, I was completely overjoyed by what I had seen. I totally saw that they had not too subtly just remade a new hope it was almost beat for beat the same movie at the time i didn't fault it for that because jj had his goal was to win back the fans after what had happened with the prequels because the main core fans the people that had grown up with star wars where the original trilogy was their Star Wars, were, I would say, let's say conservatively, 80% of them hated the prequels. That's that's fair. That sounds about right. Mm -hmm. So he needed to make a movie that was going to bring everybody back and remind them exactly what you said, what Star Wars was like. And what The Force Awakens did is they remade... You're like, oh, you like this? Okay, we're going to put it in our movie. You like this from the first film, we're going to put this in the movie. You like this, we're going to put this in here. They remade the movie, and afterwards I was thankful for it. It's six years later. I'm not thankful. This rewatch was not that enjoyable for me. Really? Oh, man. 
I spoilers for the next couple weeks. I have a lot of trouble with this fucking trilogy and this franchise as a whole. And I fully admit that my spoiler alert for two weeks, my hatred for the rise of Skywalker has left a sour taste in my mouth and has trickled down into my enjoyment of this movie. And some things about this film and the one we're reviewing next week, The Last Jedi, my opinions on them have changed because of because of the Mandalorian. Hmm. I'm <laughs> I'm very excited to discuss this film, but uh, it it's not going to be a very glowing recommendation. Really, I I was of the impression you liked this movie. So was I. Until, wow. Until I watched it. Is this the first time you've watched it since theaters? Mm, this is probably my fourth watch. Wow. I, I'm I'm a little bit surprised right now. I'm not gonna lie to you. I th- I'm with you. I thought we were gonna be uh, defenders of this movie together, but it looks like that task has uh, has fallen to me alone. It sh- it, it most certainly has. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And and we'll. Uh, I mean, I'm sure we will have overlap on some of the specifics because yeah. um, I do have. I have a lot of spoiler free notes here. I cut them way short in okay. spite of uh, in spite of my uh, many things that I already said. But I have a little section in here that does say legitimate concerns include sheer amount of plot points shamelessly stolen from A New Hope. It's a legitimate concern. I don't want to minimize that. And I think it's the main problem with this movie, if I'm being honest. It's 100% the main problem. Um, This one goes beyond this movie, but really, in my opinion, is the main problem with the sequel trilogy as a whole, which we'll definitely expand upon in future episodes in the series. But the lack of a singular vision (laughs) for future installments (laughs) is such a clear problem. It's such a clear problem. And it's really clear in watching The Force Awakens. I almost said A New Hope. (laughs) That's how similar they are. What is crystal clear in watching this movie is that Knowing knowing the history of this trilogy, as we both do, yep. it is clear watching this movie that J.J. Abrams had not signed on for the rest of the trilogy. It was clear that they didn't know to what extent this would be a big hit. It wasn't clear to what extent Disney thought they would have to correct course on this. And I think, in retrospect, with hindsight being 2020, yep. we all know the move would have been for Disney to go to J.J. Abrams, who had proven himself with Star Trek, and say, J.J., the trilogy is yours. Write what you want. With a team, probably. But write what you want. Create the universe. Create the characters. Create the plot points. Because there is so much set up in this movie. And part of the initial hype of this movie was, I'm really excited to see where it goes. A lot of the stuff that's set up, I'm really excited to see what comes of it. So now rewatching this is kind of like rewatching Game of Thrones. Knowing the turd that is laid on us at the end, it kind of cheapens all of the stuff that we were excited about before it's a good analogy yeah <laughs> so the lack of a singular vision the lack of just saying jj abrams you are signed on for three movies here's a bazillion dollars do with the franchise what you want it would have saved us all of the um the initial setup that we get in this movie 
the reversal that will come in The Last Jedi and then the re-reversal that will come in The Rise of Skywalker um, in some of the main plot points. Watching this movie this time around, I actually found myself really disappointed in a couple of different sections. Uh, like there's a section where Rey, I won't spoil why because we're still a non-spoiler, but she kind of has a vision. <laughs> and watching a lot of the specific things that she sees in the vision, I'm just thinking like, None of these mean anything. Having seen the other two movies now, like these visions that she has go nowhere. They're pointless. Yeah. And it's clear now <laughs> that they are intentionally pointless because they didn't know the ending. They didn't know the ending of the story when they were writing it. And that's a huge problem. It's a very big it. problem. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the, the, the main things that I, that I wanted to say that were concerns okay. for me with this okay. i still have a good time with okay. this movie i think the performances are mostly good i think uh some of the other criticisms that i either don't think are valid or i don't find to be as big a problem as some other people are things like ray being a mary sue or uh i've heard people say that adam driver is miscast as kylo ren or that, wow, really? or that uh, I remember a couple, maybe not in mainstream okay. circles, but I, I remember a couple of my friends at least saying that, that they didn't think Adam Driver was like menacing enough or something, which I think is frankly ridiculous. He's pretty clearly being set up as like a young, angsty hothead who will grow through the series, which is actually something that the series does well, in my opinion. Um, criticism that Kylo Ren doesn't win his matchups well enough either not a problem or just not nearly big enough a problem for me to care about um and then yeah kind of coming back to it being a rehash of the original a lot of the settings are the same jakku is basically tatooine takodana is basically endor you know the list goes on and on and on so um but i think the performances are mostly good i think kylo ren is a at the time i thought kylo ren had the potential to be a great villain I a, agree. a great villain yep and through no fault of this movie's, <laughs> he is not a great villain, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, we've been talking about this for long enough. I, I'm going to wrap my spoiler-free thoughts up there. We should probably just get into the nitty-gritty here. If you have anything else to add, now would be the time to do it. Nah. Much take us in the spoiler. Yeah, spoiler warning for the Force Awakens. The I mean, this movie grossed nearly a billion dollars domestically. You've probably seen it <laughs> if you're listening to this episode. But uh, spoiler warning, just in case you haven't. Three, two, one, go fuck yourself. Standard opening scroll. That that music hits. Manny, even even though you're, both of our fandom is not nearly in a place that it once was with the series, mm-hmm. you have to admit that John Williams' iconic score. With the title crawl, chills still. Every 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 time. Every time. Every time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. If I'm not mistaken. You can correct me because I, I I don't know much. But when that brass hits. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. The the big trumpet fanfare. That. Yeah. Fantastic. We start on Jakku. Definitely not Tatooine. Nope. <laughs> it is not Tatooine. Can't stress that enough. Don't you dare call it Tatooine. <laughs> yeah. It's Tatooine. We meet two new characters, both incredible. The ever-enjoyable BB-8 and our boy Isaac, Mr. Oscar Do we ever love Oscar Isaac on this show or what? He's got to be in my top five favorite actors right now. He's great. 
Uh, this year, he's also, if I'm not mistaken, uh, is that correct? I'll have to double check. I think he's also an ex machina this year, right? Unless yes, he that's, is. Unless that's the year nope, prior. You are correct. Okay. 100% correct. Yeah. What a great year for Oscar Isaac, because that movie's fucking spectacular. Oh, quick side note. Yeah. Remember how, just, what a shocker, tangent. Mm. Remember how I said the MVP of 1993 was Spielberg? Yes. For Jurassic Park and Schindler's List? Mm-hmm. We forgot to mention, um... I'm gonna I'm gonna miss one now. Hold on. Ah, oh, shit! I'm about to quickly look for it up. something else that Spielberg did. Nope. There was a a, a very not close, but a, the runner up to MVP of well, somebody who had like a spectacular '93 as far as like performances. Yeah. Okay, his I name, his name I is can't... Ben Kingsley. Okay, so he had Schindler's List, and he had Searching, Searching for, for Bobby Fischer. And Dave. Right. Ben Kingsley. Sir Ben. Yeah. Yeah. All Great three 93. of his films made both of our top tens. Great movies. Yeah. I just remember, uh, I just wanted to shout that out. No, that's I'm a big fan of that, and I thank you for bringing that to our attention. Yeah. Obviously not as big a highlight as, uh, as Spielberg, yeah. his 93, both winning Best Picture and getting the highest grossing film of all time for two different movies yes. is insane. That's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm just going to make one of the greatest films of all time, top 10 AFI, and then I'm just going to make the highest grossing film of all time. But they're going to be two separate movies. Are you okay with that? Okay, cool. And then you just you just did it. Yeah. You just did the thing that you just said. Uh, back to Oscar Isaac. I fucking love that guy. Yeah. I love him. Just oozes personality in everything that he's yeah. in. One of the most charming on-screen personas uh, in, in the world right now. Um, this opening introduction to him is a lot of fun uh definitely striving for han solo vibes yeah oh. definitely trying to be harrison ford if there was an actor on planet earth who i would want as like a harrison ford replacement or somebody to play like a young indiana jones if they were to reboot it 2015 oscar isaac might have just been it <sighs> delightful yeah <sighs> kylo ren arrives in what I think is a great character introduction. Mm -hmm. I think this is a fantastic villain introduction. Um, one of the things this movie got criticism for as well is the introduction of new force powers. I kind of like a lot of the stuff that's introduced in this movie. In particular, I don't think that we've ever seen anybody freeze uh, a blaster. Is it called a bolt? I think it's called a bolt. Uh, I don't we've think seen Darth Vader redirect one, though. Have we? We're, we're... Empire Strikes Back. When he surprises him in Sky City. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Han on yeah. Luton, he just fucking holds up his hand and fucking deflects away. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. I didn't even consider that. Yeah. But yeah, the fact that he's able to hold that in place, I thought that was a badass power to start with. It is. Really badass power. It is. Um, And not only that, but several minutes later after the scene is unraveled, you can you can see it the bolt still standing in midair and then it gets released and continues on its path. Like the fact that he kind of had that in the back of his mind controlling it the entire time i i nerded out a lot in the theater when that happened yeah it was cool super very cool. excited over that uh we get kind of an introduction to finn here kind of we get the blood wipe on his on his face so we can see this is <clears throat> confusing for me not Oh, what's the word? I'm, it's, it doesn't break the movie for me, 
But it happens here, and it happens later on with Kylo Ren. Some get shot by the blaster, and they bleed. Yeah, that's not something that we've seen really in. It's uh, not something that we've really seen in. Star I've Wars, just I always think. thought of blasters as like a laser blast, which would mean that those are scalding hot. Yeah, it's like self-cauterizing, basically. Yeah, like exactly. Instantly gets cauterized. Yes. Yeah, I've thought the same thing. So when this stormtrooper wipes the blood on Finn's helmet, and then later on. Kylo Ren gets shot by a blaster and is bleeding, it's always just confused me. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's just, I'm like, Mike, that's weird. But I'm not like, that's stupid, dumb. Yeah. This yeah. movie blows. Actually, that would never happen. <laughs> then he pushes his glasses up from his nose. Yeah. Uh, Poe is captured, gives the fantastic line that you started the show with. Yeah. Uh, do I say something, uh, or do I talk first? You talk first? I'll talk first. I'll talk first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we are <clears throat> also introduced to Captain Phasma. Um... You're trying <laughs> to remember the actress's name? Oh, it's, she's from Game of Thrones. I can see her face. Yeah, I can't even think of her character's name in Game of Thrones. The, the, uh, the... Brianna Tar. Uh, Brianna of Tarth, right? Tarth? Tarth, I think. Tarth? Oh my god, now Could I don't be. know. Who knows? It's been so long since I've even thought about Game of Thrones because of that <coughs> shit ending that D.B. Rice wrote. <laughs> uh, we also set up that Finn doesn't murder. He doesn't... He has a moral compass. He's not willing to massacre these people. I know you've uh, you've already pointed this out. By the way, Gwendolyn Christie is the ask, the actress who plays Captain I Phasma. I would never have gotten Gwendolyn that. Christie. Um you you already talked about the blood mark on Finn's face, but yeah. I, I really like, uh, especially in the first act of this movie when we're setting up the characters, the amount of visual storytelling that we get. Mm-hmm. There is, uh, it would be very easy for us to just have Finn saying like, I don't kill somewhere in the first third of this movie, but instead we see him uh, horrified by a slaughter. And I, I think that's a, that's a great move to have him in his helmet, identified by the blood mark on his yep. face. I remember being really impressed by that in the theater. Uh, me too. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm very happy with that and a moment we'll get to in a bit as far as visual storytelling. Okay. Uh, we meet Ray uh, scavenging a, a, a Star Destroyer. Um, I love that shot when she's driving away and you see the Star Destroyer in the background. Mm-hmm. It is just gorgeous yeah something that we've said um about denis villeneuve we heaped a lot of praise on denis villeneuve for dune for doing scale really well and uh this this is another example of that i I was very much reminded of villeneuve with this shot um even though this came out before the bulk of villeneuve's work which is crazy oh wow yeah yes this would have been before arrival before blade runner before dune holy shit and same year as sicario not that that's a close. great example of scale, but close. They, that's close. Yeah, Sicario is either this year or the year before. But yeah, beautiful shot of Ray uh, in front of the destroyer. Uh, but what I was going to say, as far as another good bit of visual storytelling, is in this introduction to Ray, um, when she comes back from the destroyer, when she's scavenging and she's cleaning one of the parts, she uh, she looks across the table at another old, old woman doing the exact same thing. And she kind of has a, a somber little moment, uh, almost as if she's wondering if that'll be her one day, just doing the same thing for her entire life. 
Um, so I, I really like both of those moments. And at this point in the movie, I'm already, I'm already loving JJ Abrams direction. Uh, you have a confused look on your face at whatever you're looking at on your screen. I just can't find, um, I just can't find, uh, the year it was, um, the, um, that Sicario was up. Oh, interesting. Cause I'm almost positive that del Toro got a best supporting actor nomination for it did he not that would be that'd be terrible well it's 2015 is what i have here 2015 is what i see i'm like i i just feel like 100 percent that he was nominated for that for that role sicario reception accolades list of accolades we're gonna get to the bottom of this it got nominated for best cinematography best original score and best sound editing no supporting actor nom for uh for del toro and that is that. Look at say. those fucking films for cinematography that year. Revenant, Carol, Hateful Eight, Mad Max, Fury Road, Sicario. Wow, that's a great this. looking bunch of films. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> that's always a fun category for us. Yeah, we love the cinematography ones. Um, we learn again. Show don't tell. She hears BB-8s. She goes to rescue him. Shows that Ray is sympathetic. And, uh, but she saves him from like the slowest moving character I've ever seen in any film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that thing's moving so fucking slow. Yeah. There's no way that increases the amount of ground that guy can cover. Yeah. There's no way. No, it was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've now met all of our major characters with, you know, a couple more coming, but mm -hmm. we've met the main, all the main players, all anyway. the main players, uh, Poe is being tortured. Uh, this is confusing. Well, not confusing. I shouldn't say confusing. I'm always unsure. It's established later on that Kylo Ren can read minds. Mm -hmm. Now, did he read Poe's mind to find out that BB-8 has it? Or did he torture him and Poe gave it up? Yeah, that's a good question. I want to say it's ambiguous. Okay. Um, I always got the impression he was torturing him. Uh, well, it's 100% he's torturing him, yeah. but, but did he, did Poe give up the information? Or did he take it from him Or did forcefully? he take it from him? That's what I'm That's I a good question. Um, it's possible that it's intentionally ambiguous just to preserve Poe's character. Mm -hmm. It would be less endearing to have one of our heroes willfully give up information, even under duress, uh, in the first act of this movie. But I, the honest answer is I don't know. All right. Um, by the way... I just want to point out uh, a decent amount of practical effects on Jakku. In particular, a lot of the creatures in, yes. in the village are all done practically. It makes a difference. I remember one of the most brilliant, probably one of the most brilliant marketing material, uh, or one of those brilliant marketing moves, let's say, in recent memory for a movie is J.J. Abrams doing a promotional interview. Like, hi guys, I'm J.J. Abrams on the set of Star Wars. And he's just like doing his little interview thing that's completely benign. But as he's doing it, there's all these practical creatures walking in the background behind him. I remember being so excited at that because one of the main criticisms levied at the prequels is that there's way too much CGI. Yep. Way too much CGI. Um, so seeing a lot of that practical effect stuff come back, I remember being very excited about that. And the one that really killed me Here was not go. a creature. 
<laughs> it's such a small thing. They didn't need to put it in the movie, but I'm really happy they did. The self-baking bread. Yes. It was so cool, right? Yeah, it is super cool. I'm still excited about that so many years later. I, I still don't really know the actual effect or what it was, but... Uh, but this was this was a real thing. Mm-hmm. Like this this is not CGI. The bread that bakes itself. This this really happened. Oh, I don't think I kept it in my in my in my notes. Because you assumed it would probably come up, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't keep it. But yeah. they if in the in my in the trivia, I found out how they did that. But I I don't remember, so I'm not gonna try and explain it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. Because I I would definitely butcher it, and then I'd be a liar. Um. The scavenger guy, played by Simon Pegg. Oh, really? Yeah, the, the guy that has the, um, that's is selling the portions. Yeah. One quarter portion. That's Simon Pegg. Oh, I had no idea. What? Yeah, I didn't know. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, Simon Pegg um, tries to buy BB-8. Uh, Ray won't sell him. And... I... I never really knew why... Like, have these two, have we seen these two develop an emotional connection of any kind? I think what it is is just playing off that she's empathetic. And that, I guess. She, that she's, she is, she's rescued BB 8. Mm-hmm. They have that night together. And droids are effectively people in this universe. Yes. So. And she speaks binary. Yep. So I guess there's some type of connection there, and she's just not willing to do it. Okay. 60 portions. Nice. That's good. Thank That's you. Pretty good. <laughs> um, so Finn rescues Poe. Finn is great. I honestly kind of forgot how much I liked Finn. Yeah. yeah. These two, I think, have really good chemistry together. I wish we had them on screen more in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really like the uh, the jailbreak of yeah. Finn being like, because it's the right thing to do. And just, there's a beat. And then yeah. you need a pilot. I, I need a pilot. pilot. <laughs> uh, great. Uh very enjoyable kind of escape scene, uh, star battle. You know, Poe showing off why he's the best fighter pilot in the system, and Finn realizing that he's better than what he is. He has more to offer than what uh, the First Order or the Empire or whatever they're called. Yeah, the First Order. <laughs> Um. Well, oh, I was just going to say in the Tie Fighter flight. Uh, I have to point this out every time it comes up. The Wilhelm scream. I'm. I don't know if you actually. If you. I don't. You, I honestly don't notice it. Oh, you don't notice it? I notice no. it every time it's on screen. I know you. And, and Star Wars is notorious for including it. But yeah, you get the Wilhelm scream in the hangar when uh, I think it's when the Tie Fighter takes off finally, and it knocks. I think it knocks somebody out of the way, and he does the scream. Nice. <laughs> I know you love that Wilhelm. Scream. I do. It's just. It's a little nod. Wicked. It's a, it's I love a little it. tip to the cap. Uh, so they crash land. Uh, Finn uh, salvages uh, Poe's jacket. Goes to the- and all of the nine-year-olds in the audience weep because Poe is dead. Yep. Yeah. Every- everybody under the age of thirteen fell for this. I'm sure, but a little little predictable. Uh, Finn sees Ray in trouble, and instinctively goes to help her, which shows us character of Finn mm-hmm. but BB-8 recognizes the jacket and I love the look of on Ray's face as she's running towards Finn like pure determination and Finn is great uh, he lies about who he is never good 
Yeah, which doesn't really have a lot of consequence in this movie, unfortunately. No, it sure doesn't. It really should have it more consequence. Less consequence than it does in a romantic comedy. Yeah. And this is a be per- pissed, Ray. This guy is a stormtrooper. It's a pretty big lie. Not only is he not part of the resistance, he is as far away from a member of the resistance as you can possibly be in the galaxy. Yeah. This is a big lie, and it has no weight, and that's a problem. They start being chased by. Uh, Tie fighters and all this sort of jazz. Mm-hmm. You get a glimpse of the Millennium Falcon as it's called garbage. Mm-hmm. A funny joke that always occurs in every episode. Garbage will do. Garbage will do. <laughs> there is a common complaint that you have mentioned that um, Ray is a Mary Sue. Mm-hmm. She's a pilot? Yeah. A natural pilot? Mm-hmm. Knows how to fly a starship? Yeah, that's that's not great. That's I, I have no excuse for you on that. That's I I think I think it's intentional, all of this stuff. This is this is the thing that's so baffling it is, to it me. It is completely intentional. What when I hear the phrase Mary Sue, I I associate it with lazy writing. I associate it with a glaring error of like, whoops, we forgot to make our main character interesting with flaws kind of thing. This feels like an active process that the writers are doing in this movie. This feels like we're making her good at all this stuff to imply that she's force sensitive to set up. Eh? <laughs> and then they forgot to fill in that last blank. This did bother me back then. Not to the point where I'm like, this is fucking dumb, but I was just like, uh, I guess like they do show her, driving that one thing she had she has been like moping around a star destroyer for years scavenging it like to purposely search out pieces that would be worth something Mm -hmm. so her ability to repair things never bothered me because she's been taking apart a fucking star cruiser the best reason i have personally to excuse things like this is that it is established in world that this is unusual like, you get, Han Solo will show up in, in a few scenes here, but all of his reactions to her just intuitively knowing the way around the Millennium Falcon and being a great pilot and a great co-pilot off the bat, his reactions to that do set up that this is unusual, and he understands that there's something extraordinary yep. about this girl. He understands that intuitively about her because of all of these things, and I think that's what they're going for. But again, the payoff there is just, it's just not there. Yeah. So it, it really comes off as her being a Mary Sue. I agree. They're being chased by TIE fighters. This is incredibly shot. Mm-hmm. This is one of the highlights of the film for me, to be completely honest. the Her flying the Millennium Falcon, being chased by the TIE fighters. Uh, it's absolutely phenomenal. One of my mm-hmm. notes here is JJ is showing off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a this is a heart-pumping chase. Yeah. And the final, uh, the, the climax of the scene uh, when the gun is jammed and she stalls the ship, yeah, like I don't, like, I don't care if it makes me a nerd. I was fucking giddy. I'm yeah. like that's so fucking cool. <laughs> it was fucking pretty wicked. Yeah. Uh, then we get a setup here for a setup for what will be a joke later on. But Kylo was informed that the droid got away, helped by a girl, and uh, a traitor, uh, and he doesn't take the news well, and he fucking trashes a console. This is one of the setup points I really like about the Kylo Ren character is this is a guy who idolizes Darth Vader so much, but 
he has a way bigger temper. Like Darth Vader is just always, always in control. Every scene, Darth Vader has that presence in that, like that fucking James Earl Jones voice, yeah. where he is in command every single scene that he's in, and it's really badass. I like that with Kylo Ren, they kind of make him strive for that at least at first and fall up short. Like he, he's kind of, he kind of makes an ass of himself a couple of times in this movie, and he really comes off as a uh, snotty wannabe. Yeah, and honestly, it it I say that uh, with kindness. Like th- that decision really works for me, as far as I'm concerned. Totally. Yeah, the decision to kind of separate him from Darth Vader and give him something to strive towards. It works for the establishing of the villain. We well, definitely want it because they're already copying the original one so much, anyways. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Anything you can do to separate yourself from the original at this point, I'll take. Um. Oh, there we go. Finn and Ray start to fix the Falcon, and by Finn and Ray, I mean Ray. Mm-hmm. Great comedic scene. Oh, where uh, where he tells BB-8, yeah, kind of off to the side, he's like, "Look, I'm not part of the resistance, but like, like just help me out here. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I promise I'm a good guy." The little double take that BB-8 does when he's trying to decide yeah. whether he should help Finn or not, and then the little lighter thumbs up. I I distinctly remember in my theater that getting loud laughter huge laughs yeah. perhaps the loudest laugh of the of the whole movie i i would say loudest laugh of the movie for yeah. sure fantastic um the falcon is captured we're a little worried until we find out who's captured it and it's han chewy now this scene obviously is spoiled in the trailer the very first trailer yeah, shows on a tree. This was when I was still watching trailers as well, so this was spoiled for me. Not that you could even market this without letting people know that Han Solo is in it. Mm-hmm. But fast forward six years later, when they showed up in the movie theater, when I was watching the movie theater, there wasn't that much of a reaction. Nowadays, there would be a lot of applause. Similar to Andrew Garfield showing up in Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh-huh. I think I think the excitement level, if this was released now, would be a lot more than what it was back then. Even then, the line that we're home, it definitely brought me joy in 2015. This time, not so much. Not so much this time. Yeah. Why? Why do you think that is? Why? Why doesn't it bring you the same level of joy now as it as it once did? My disdain for this franchise. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I mean, this is something I've kind of struggled with. If I'm being honest, is uh, there is a lot of stuff that I enjoy that could be considered fan service, and there's a lot of stuff that I don't enjoy where it kind of just comes off cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really know where that line is, to be honest. It's kind of a, you know it when you see it. Perfectly said. Yeah. <clears throat> this, for me, doesn't reek the same of that poor fan service, because I feel that Han Solo is is used effectively in this script. Oh, I think he's used perfectly. Yeah. yeah I agree. I think it's just because I'm just bitter Yeah. about the franchise. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> What I did like is that we get some history of what happened to the Falcon. Mm-hmm. You know, someone won it, stole it, won it, and there's which is back. just that's the history that the Falcon deserves, really. Yeah, 
the mere mention of Luke Skywalker brings his theme. Yeah, and he he pauses in his tracks. Yeah. You you knew him, and there's a lot of talk in the lead up to this movie that Harrison Ford was tired of playing this character, didn't want to play this character anymore. Had already done it three times. I think even by the time Jedi rolled around, he was not amped about playing the Han Solo character. He wasn't. Yeah, he asked he asked to be killed. So I really enjoy that we get a good Harrison Ford performance in yes. this movie and even his delivery of when he pauses and then turns around and says yeah i knew him like there's just this this knowing i, I can't even there's this like knowing undercurrent to mm -hmm. it like you couldn't possibly know what him and i went through together yeah yeah i knew him <laughs> i i love his delivery of that and this little i think it's here he has his little monologue the uh i used to wonder about all that myself the thing is it's true no that's not right that's, now. That's not right now? That's no, in... it's when they, it's after when they get, oh, is this where they get the map? They have the map and then the Death Squad shows up? Hmm. I feel like oh, it's... yeah, I, ha I have Chewie, we're home, and then the stuff with the Rathars, and then, and and, and then, then it's true, then, all of it. Okay, yeah. so the Rathars, uh, a very fun scene, mm -hmm. but upon this watch, I'm like, completely unnecessary. Yeah, it doesn't do anything no. other than kind of give Han Solo also kind of a what he's been up to since the last movie yeah. kind of story. He's been back to his smuggling ways. and he's yeah, a bad smuggler. He is. He's always getting caught. Yeah. But he always talks his way out of it. He does. Every time. <laughs> I fucking love that line. They, they really have nailed the Han and Chewie dialogue yeah. by the time this movie comes around. Because you want to have Han deliver his dialogue in a way that's natural where he's not just repeating what chewie said for the audience but you do also need him to act as a translator for the audience at the same time and it's a tough little balance to walk but when he when he delivers that line he's like i always talk my way out of it chewie says something and he says i do every time <laughs> it's fucking awesome it's great it's awesome um this is actually what's funny about this is that it's very similar to i am groot yes very true yeah yeah, there's probably a decent amount of inspiration there, I would imagine, in the way well, that's used. Uh, one thing that does bother me about... Sorry, what are they called? Rathgars? Rathtars. Rathtars, I believe. Um, Finn gets grabbed but not eaten? Yeah, that's that's definitely some plot armor. Yeah. 100% that's yeah. some plot armor. Those, I'm bothered by the same thing. We do get a cool uh, a cool execution of one of the Rathars, or at least a few, a, a cool maiming of it. I don't know if it's made clear that it dies or, or what, but when, when she, when she closes the door yeah, on it doesn't, him, I don't think it dies. Yeah. Yeah. Cause but, it just gets the tentacles off of him. But yeah, we get a cool moment of her, uh, timing it and closing the door on him. Um, um, Han uses Chewie's crossbow blaster here mm -hmm. and then says, wow. Like he's like, you've been with this creature for, you've never shot this weapon. And, you see it fired this this is your first time is this the first time Chewie's ever used it yeah like you're just like wow like i understand like that is fan service because we've never seen that crossbow blaster be used yeah so the seeing the power it possesses was kind of inspiring but han's reaction to it doesn't make sense i've mm -mm. I I, really never seen that get fired before no oh, i didn't even think about that yeah yeah hmm. Weird, right? Yeah, that is weird. <laughs> uh, we meet Snoke. Another setup that, uh, again, I don't know if J.J. Abrams had lore in mind for this person, but 
knowing what we know about what happens in the last jedi this is a, a really disappointing character big time uh but when i say that it's disappointing i think because he's cool yeah. I think he's a really cool character, I a agree. cool villain, a cool idea. I agree. The fact that he's uh, later in the movie revealed to be like a hologram and he's like maybe not actually a giant. There's a lot of mystery surrounding this character. And that's what you need for this franchise in this, the year 2015, when we're just setting up this new sequel trilogy, we need to set up mystery as a really mysterious character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of, uh, a lot of room for expansion and for growth, which uh, again, I cannot emphasize this enough goes nowhere (laughs) (laughs) um we get a big expo dump about luke and the jedi this is the scene you're talking about yeah uh and uh, this is another one that was spoiled in the trailers unfortunately but with the with the score swelling in the background uh, you get the force theme i think for the first time in the movie Mm -hmm. um i used to wonder about that myself it's true the force jedi all of it it's all true another great harrison ford delivery of this line and yeah you get the john williams score swelling in the background oof oof is it ever nice oscar nominated oscar nominated and you know what i agree with the non-win what did it lose to uh i just had it a second ago uh the hateful eight ennio morricone that one yeah damn i'm gonna have to listen to that yeah uh, but uh, Sicario was also nominated. Johan Johansson. We're oh, both. We're, bo- we're, we're both. We're both fans of that. When you jumped in the car today, yeah, and the score for Aliens was on, yeah, um, the border crossing <gasps> was on just before. Man, Johan Johansson gone too soon, man. Far too soon. Uh, I don't remember the Bridge of Spies score uh, by Thomas Newman. I think I remember liking it, but I'll have to have to revisit that maybe. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, uh, not mad about John Williams not winning. There's not the highlights of the score are not the things that were written for this movie. Not uh, I don't want to say any. I would never say anything negative about any of John Williams scores. I don't think, but yeah, the best like the best themes in this movie are all of the originals. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. As opposed to the prequel trilogy, where he actually is writing a lot of cool new stuff. So Han takes them to meet uh, Maz Kanata. Uh, the cantina scene is cool but what like 30 40 years old at this point something like that like 39 years old yeah yeah uh at this point in the movie like i already kind of recognized the similarities (laughs) at this point it was when we go into the cantina for the second time where I start going, oh, okay, let's let's get some original material in here. This, the inclusion of this in the movie really feels like a misunderstanding of what make what made the cantina scene so iconic and so great. In uh, sorry, Star Wars is seventy six, a, yeah. a New Hope. Uh, in nineteen seventy six, seven seventy seven. In the late seventies, in the mid to late seventies, when a New Hope was released under the title Star Wars. Uh, and we get the cantina scene it is immediately so iconic because there's all these interesting creatures again shrouded in mystery and it alludes to this entire universe just uh ripe for expansion and ripe for uh you know for for a trilogy to be to be made around it basically um so the fact that we're just going back to the cantina it does not inspire near the same amount of mystery 
and does not inspire the same amount of awe of like, wow, I wonder what all these people are up to. Like, we get it. We know there's other life forms in the universe. Um, and if you want to introduce us to that fact again, I would really appreciate a fresh way to do it. Not, yeah. ju- not just the same thing. This, this does bug me, actually, that we're just going back to a cantina. Yeah. Yeah, it's the exact same thing. Uh, <laughs> Kylo is praying to his grandfather. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Uh, what I liked about here is that he reveals he's getting pulled toward the light side of the force mm-hmm. instead of the dark side pulling you in. It's the light side pulling you in. It's an interesting idea. The yeah, reveal it's... of of Darth Vader's helmet. I think that was in one of the trailers too, right? It was. Yeah. Fucking trailers! Stop yeah. ruining all the good moments. Uh, so Maz is talking to uh, Han and Finn and Ray, uh, imploring Han to join. Finn just wants to run, and this is where he comes clean. Um, Way too early in the movie, as far as I'm concerned. Like this lie, and I, I know I said this earlier, but I should reemphasize it here. This lie should be a way bigger deal for this story. The fact yep. that he is literally on the opposite side of the war as he claims to be ray is completely unfazed by this this should tear them apart at least temporarily yes and then he should watch her be taken away while she is mad at him yes while she feels that he is a traitor he should watch her be taken away and he should have to deal with that guilt and go back to get her the fact that that is not the case is a baffling writing decision to me i agree ray starts hearing some voices Heads downstairs. The door just magically opens. The force, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> Anytime there's something that's not explainable, I just usually default to the force. She opens up this uh, lovely box, and inside is Luke Skywalker's lightsaber. Yeah, this the, the movie has really started, has really taken a turn on, on whatever the fuck this planet is called. I had the name of it a second ago, but... Uh, yeah, it's it's not it's not the greatest. This this did bother me in the movie theater. Again, this vision sequence, it doesn't lead anywhere. None of the stuff that we see is very impactful. Yeah. Like we already know that Rey is an orphan, so seeing her get dragged away from her parents is like that's not a new revelation. We should see some visions that require explanation. We see a vision that was spoiled in the trailer of a cloaked individual with a metal hand touching R2-D2. But we already, like, I guess we already kind of know, or do we? I guess we don't really know. That's maybe the one vision that requires some explanation, but the rest of it is pretty tame. And then Maz Kanata just comes by and goes, it's a story for another time. Between... uh, Uh, Fuck, no, it's not. Fuck you, tell me. Yeah. How do you have Luke Skywalker's saber after his hand was chopped off? By is that ever explained? I forget. Nope. Oh, my God. Sure isn't. Yeah. Again, I, I chalk that up to more of a problem of the trilogy rather than a problem of the movie. If that was explained at a later date, this wouldn't be such a big problem. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. General Hux gives a speech. Uh, we haven't talked about this. Speaking of p- people having highlight years Donald Gleason 2015 holy shit he had himself a year he was in four movies that were nominated for Oscars uh he was in Star Wars Brooklyn see if I can get these off the top of my head um 
Ex Machina, and a fourth movie, which eludes me. Mad Max Fury Road? No. He wasn't, he wasn't in that. I can't remember, but he was in a fourth one. Carol? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Okay, he's not in Spotlight. He's not in The Big Short. He's not in Bridge of Spies. Brooklyn? I already said it. Uh, Mar- he's not in The Martian. No. Is he in The Revenant? Yes, he is. He, he is in is. The Revenant. He's uh like the commander, I yeah, think. Uh, of At the fort. Yeah, at the fort. Wow. Yeah, great year for Donald Gleason. Wow. Yeah, really good year. I expected to see him burst onto the scene after this, but I feel like I to don't see him in a lot. To anymore. quote Owen Wilson, wow. Wow. <laughs> Great. Uh, so he gives a speech. Star Killer Base destroys several planets. Um, spoilers for um, Rise of Skywalker. Hux allows this to happen when we find out he's part of the Resistance. Yeah. Oh, Kill, killing trillions mm-hmm. of people is yeah. okay. I I'm not gonna lie to you. I have erased Rise of Skywalker from my memory. I forgot that was a thing. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Again, lack of a singular vision. Yeah. Very big problem because if Hux was always intended to be a member of the Resistance, I don't think this would be allowed to happen. No. This is knowing what's again, I, and that's part of why my enjoyment of this film was harder to uh, come across was because I, I know where it goes and I'm like this man just killed like what's after trillions quadrillions is it quadrillions I believe so yeah. quadrillion because I think the Starkiller base blows up like four planets yeah fuck okay whatever <laughs> hey it's all for the greater good Nanny <laughs> Those quadrillions of people were a necessary sacrifice. Uh, Ray runs to the forest. Uh, the First Order arrives. Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I'm just I'm scrolling, I'm catching up on my notes, and there was something that I uh, neglected to bring up earlier. Yeah. That um, another thing that doesn't make sense, having seen the entire trilogy, Solo obviously either knows who she is or has suspicions about who she might be. I think, right? Can can we agree on that plot point? Or, like, Solo recognizes there's something extraordinary about Rey. No, he recognizes that she's definitely, like, Force-sensitive and, and extraordinary. Okay. I don't think he believes that he had spoilers for Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah. related to Palpatine. Okay, yeah. That was, the, that was the plot point I was unclear on. Like, is, he, is what he's recognizing here that she's a Palpatine? No. Or that she's Force-sensitive? Force-sensitive. Okay. 100%. All right. Zero percent on the Palpatine. Okay, thank God, on because that is thing. that is a bigger problem if that's the case. But okay, um, yes. Sorry, I believe we were uh, Ray was running into the forest. Yeah, uh, Maz tells Finn that Ray and BB-8 need him. Um, how does she know? I don't know. Okay, is she is she force sensitive? I think she's maybe. She must be. Okay. I... So she just gives Finn the lightsaber. Hey, dude I've never met before. Here you go. Have this cool lightsaber. Yeah, this yeah, this section of the movie is uh is riddled with uh it's it's rife with problems. Is rife the right word? Yep. I'm going to go with it. Uh it's it's full of problems and uh I I do like that we get a couple of moments of Finn wielding a lightsaber mm-hmm. in this movie because it sets up one of my favorite plot points from the last Jedi 
which will then be reversed oh, by Rise of Skywalker. Nice. Yeah. So uh, this was almost, in my opinion, a home run, even though the um, the setup of it, of him just being given her lightsaber, here you go. Um, you know, that's certainly strange. But the idea that we are seeing a non-Force-sensitive person wield a lightsaber is kind of thematic, I guess, moving forward with The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Let's say. That anybody can be a hero. Anybody can be a knight. Yeah. Right. Nice little fight scene with the electric Lance jousty guy. I, I I think this is so fucking cool. Yeah. When the guy yells, traitor! And then unsheathes his weapon. I'm like, let's fucking go. Let's get yeah. this Let's get this battle underway. I think that's so cool. And cool. from their perspective, yeah, he would totally be a traitor. He's called a traitor a couple of times in this movie. Yeah. I would have liked for them to explore that a little more on his character arc, but... Would have been nice. Would have been nice, but okay. Uh, Ray's taken hostage. Then the Resistance arrives and... Poe shows off his uh, fighter pilot skills. And then we're told that whoever that pilot is is amazing. Thanks, man. <laughs> I Yeah, that's kind of not... I'm not buying that. Uh, well, that's one great pilot. You're really going to deliver that line in a war in, in a in battle mid, in the midst of a battle in a battlefield you're just gonna look up at the sky and go wow whoever that guy is sure is neat and it just so happens to be my friend i assumed was dead <laughs> it's a little silly uh so they take uh, they take ray away they escape to whatever planet leia's on uh yeah i don't have the name of it but i mean the the names are the names are made up her arrival is... Just... You get a little teary-eyed? No, but I, I got the warm fuzzies. Yeah, the warm fuzzies. Because it's my princess. Mm-hmm. Oh, Princess Leia. And then I'm reminded that C-3PO is annoying as fuck. Yeah. What a fucking did, cock block. Did you, did you recognize him, Manny? I, I, uh, he was almost unrecognizable with that red arm of his. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could remember. I was listening to, um, I was listening to a podcast about this. And they go into a lot of the backstory mm. from the uh, like extended universe, like the comics and the novels and stuff like that. And they explain, a lot of the stuff that's no longer canon, unfortunately. Yeah, but they explain how he got that red arm. Yeah. It's a really cool fucking story. Is it? It really is. Cool. One of the other stories they tell, uh, one of my favorite characters, if you remember, when we talked, when we watched. Yeah, what's that fucking guy's name? Admiral uh, Akbar. Yeah, they, as a trap. <laughs> as a trap! As a trap! I fucking love Akbar. Anyways. Part one of the stories. Why? Because he's fucking awesome. I know we've been through this, but it's amazing to me. I, I, if I recall correctly, you listed Akbar as a top three character in the Star Wars franchise. <laughs> Which is a top five. Top five, maybe, yeah. Top three? Yeah. Top five. I, in, my, in my head, you had Vader, Han Solo, Admiral Akbar. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love Akbar. I fucking love Akbar. And I have no reason. Whatsoever, too. That's great. I think it's great that but you love Admiral love Akbar. Anyways, mm-hmm. one of the things about Admiral Akbar is uh, in the podcast I was listening to, they go into there was a, a massive battle on Jakku, mm. and Admiral Akbar was this brilliant tactician that helped win the Battle of Jakku. Very nice. Which I learned of after my love for Akbar. So you're not a fair weather Admiral Akbar fan. You've been with him since day one. I, 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 re- I literally have. Yeah. Uh, Fuck, I want an Admiral Akbar movie now. Uh, Disney, if you're listening, do it up. Oh, I'd be so fucking Help sad. us out here. Finn and Poe are reunited. Some real uh, 
real bromancy hugs there. Mm-hmm. I doubt you noticed her because you probably weren't looking. I only knew how did I find it? Oh, because I I typed up um, some of my trivia notes before rewatching the movie, and a absolutely delightful person that you and I love. I didn't notice her, but I wonder if I know who it is uh, because I know that she is in these movies and I can't remember her. Billy Lord? Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I got to tell you, Emma and I regularly quote Booksmart Fuck together yes. and uh, Billy Lord. Gigi is probably the character we quote the most. Often a, uh, a I'm here. <laughs> 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 or how are you dry? How are you dry? <laughs> I love Gigi. Oh, I'm watching Booksmart this week. Yep. Uh, anyway, she is here, and if you ever want to, if you're, if you, if when you rewatch this, mm. all you have to look for is uh, Billy Lord is Carrie Fisher's daughter. She's got the Princess Leia hair buns. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. 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 And when, like, as soon as you notice her, you notice her. You're like, oh, Gigi. <laughs> <laughs> Just one more party for her to show up at. <laughs> I choose to believe in the Star Wars canon. This is actually Gigi from Booksmart. And she's I just agree. here in this war. I agree. <laughs> uh, we learned that R2-D2 is turned off. He is uh, in low power mode yeah. because he's depressed that Luke's gone. Wah, wah. Yeah, that's never really uh, talked about, is it? Again, I'll I'll have to remember when we watch uh, when we watch the other two movies how much of this is actually explained. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um... Han and Leia have a little chat about their son, Ben, uh, dealing with a loss. Not bad. We got uh, John Williams' beautiful score at the Han and Leia theme swelling in the yeah. background. The man is a, is a genius. He really is. I love it. Um, another moment in the, uh, in the lull, I guess, another th- small throwaway moment that I really like is Chewie recounting his story to the nurse. <laughs> You must be very brave. Yeah. And he just kind of nods and shrugs. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Uh, <coughs> we meet up with uh, Kylo and Rey. Uh, she is restrained. Um, we finally get to see Adam Driver's face. He takes the mask off. Earlier than I expected. I remember a lot of people I knew didn't really like this. Um, I think it's fine. It's fine. Again, uh, I like that we're setting up that Kylo Ren is not Darth Vader. He's falling short yep. of being Darth Vader. He wears this mask because he thinks it looks cool, thinks it makes him like Darth Vader, and he, it's, he's not. Yep. Um, they have a mind battle? Yeah. Not very cinematic. Not the most cinematic thing of all time. Ray starts to read minds. Yeah. This is where a lot of the criticisms come in of just like, how could Ray? uh... How could she be able to fend off Kylo Ren? She's not even an experienced Force user. And just like, it's not. It's not that I think it's the most likely thing in the world. It's just that. It's easily explainable. It's exp- like a lot of the stuff of her being able to beat Kylo Ren in this mind battle here. Her being able to defeat him while he's wounded later. It's while I understand that you don't think it's likely. It's absolutely possible, knowing what we know about the Force. And knowing, at this point in the series, knowing how little we know about Rey's parentage and mm-hmm. her bloodline and how Force-sensitive she is, I'm going to give the, I'm gonna give the writers the benefit of the doubt here. I really am. Am I, am I wrong for... 
Am I off base? I I'm I'm not gonna lie. My belief on why people have problems with the character of Ray and why she's overpowered is because she's a girl. Mm-hmm. I don't think we would have any of these complaints if Ray was a man. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. So, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, Ray uses the Jedi mind trick on the stormtrooper. Do you know who that is in that stormtrooper gear? Uh, hold on. I did once. It is a person who was supposed to work on this movie and didn't wind up working on this movie. Oh, really? I think. Maybe not. No. Not, okay. from, not from my... Oh, uh, no. Okay. I, I was thinking of somebody else. Okay. Uh, is that Daniel Craig? It is indeed. Okay. <laughs> and I'm dropping my weapon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very enjoyable, very fun yep. scene. G- again, the levity being reintroduced back into Star Wars is yep. desperately what we need. Um, so she escapes before Kylo arrives. I... Like I said, this is probably my fourth watch of this film. I don't... Honestly, 100%. Do not remember that they have to suck energy from a sun star to charge the weapon. Yeah, it's such a throwaway point. I had no clue that that was how this thing worked. Uh, sorry, I just have a note, yeah. actually. It was because I was reading through trivia earlier that I thought the Stormtrooper was a different person. Um, the first, This is the first J.J. Abrams film not to have, not to have a musical score by Michael Giacchino. Aptly enough, Giacchino started in a, stated in an interview that he would rather hear the music of John Williams in a new Star Wars film than his own. Giacchino's name shows up in Episode 7's credits as a stormtrooper. Yes. There you go. That's what I was thinking of. Is it Giacchino? Giacchino? It's CCH, but in Italian, I feel Michael like that's Giacchino. a C. Giacchino. Okay. Giacchino. All right, cool. At least every podcast and every reference to him, that's how I've heard it. I believe, I believe that is correct. I just wanted to confirm I'm not making an ass of myself. All we have to do, find out one of his Oscar nominations and listen to them, read off his name, and then we'll know for sure. There you go. Uh, the crash land the Falcon on this Starkiller planet to bring down the force fields? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So... They're not stealing from A New Hope. Nope. They're just it's a different... Man, I can't emphasize how different Starkiller Base is from the Death Star. Yeah. Um, you'll recall that the Death Star is roughly the size of a moon. Starkiller Base is actually a planet. Yeah. So I, I really can't emphasize how this is not the same plot point. Yeah, enough. not the same plot point. Uh, did they have to lower the shields? Yes, they did. Yeah, I forgot. Damn it. How no. did they lower the shields in uh, New Hope again? No, it wasn't. It was... Uh, uh, Jedi. No, uh, Obi-Wan was uh, releasing the tractor beam. Ah, different thing. Okay. Different thing. Yeah, they just had Not to lower the, sh- the shields and return the Jedi. It's a different doodad. Yeah, my bad. Okay, <laughs> anyways, so good. Uh, Kylo senses Han's arrival? Yeah. Okay, not a big deal. But becomes a little bit big deal a little bit later on that bothered me. When he approaches him on the walkway and he doesn't immediately know he's behind him? Is that sort of thing? I'll get to it. Okay. All right. But yes, in that section. All right. Again, just minor things that I'm just little nitpicks. Um, you know, I'm sure somebody could watch Pulp Fiction and nitpick it apart, and someone could watch Shawshank and nitpick it apart. I'm sure there's probably plot holes that I don't that I don't see because I enjoy the film too much. Yeah. It's fine. Um, Finn admits that he doesn't really have a plan. He's really only there to rescue Ray. Well, use the Force. That's, That's not how the Force, force works. works. 
another great line delivery by Harrison Ford. (laughs) Yes. Um, They capture Captain Phasma and she lowers the shield. Yeah, I don't know. That's super weak. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. She's like fiercely loyal to the First Order. Pretty sure she's just like, you can just kill me. I'm going to make a comparison that I don't believe is apt to the same degree, but okay. it's the same type of character. Captain Phasma could have been this trilogy's Boba Fett. Oh, nice. Yes. She could yes. She could have been. There was a lot of mystery surrounding this character in this movie. She was in a lot of the marketing material. She's yeah. the only one wearing the shiny metal suit. She's so fucking... She's really fucking cool, yeah. actually. And she could have really been badass, but she's just like such a fucking bitch death. It's yeah. just like, oh my god! Yes, I, I know. Sorry, spoilers for Last Jedi, but like, who gives a shit at this point? Um, but yeah, she has such a bitch death, and like her bitching out and just like giving, like lowering the shields here is like such a waste of, of a, a waste. cool. Again, very similar to uh, to Boba Fett. They just didn't really know what they had. Yep. I don't think I don't I don't think they expected this character to be so popular. I agree, and they kind of wrote her out. So that's I agree. unfortunate. Uh, another really great comedic moment. Finding that tone of Star Wars is perfect, as Finn is trying to explain his plan to Harrison Ford, and Harrison Ford keeps giving him the that. Why, why are you not? <laughs> why, are you why are you doing that? Uh, he's like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to articulate my plan here. And and he just like gestures again. Yeah. Turns around, and there's Ray. Um, nice little, again, a, a little in, enjoyable line uh, from Han Solo. Escape now, hug later. Yeah. Uh, when they're, uh, I think it's around here when uh, when they're setting the charges uh, to. To, like after so they they leave and then they again these are all plot points i barely remember from the first time around this okay. movie they leave the the building wherever they are the headquarters yeah and then they han looks up at the sky and says they're losing or something like that i'm like okay like you can tell that like this big clusterfuck in the sky is going one way or the other fine okay, okay. fine whatever and then they go back in to set some charges i guess yeah I think they decide that they're needed down there and they set some charges to blow the place up okay um so that that's whatever, but it's at this point Han and Chewie uh, are setting all these charges, and Han says, "Okay, uh, you go down there, I'll go up here. We'll meet back here." And at that moment, I I kind of got a little emotional. Like, like that's oh, that's that's the end. That's the that, end. That's the, the end. last thing he'll ever say to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll meet back here. I just had, I got a little sad. Um, <laughs> so Kylo comes with some of the stormtroopers to search for Han and them. Mm-hmm. Um, if Kylo can feel Han, why can't he find him? That's true. Just a minor thing, again. I don't know. Minor thing. I mean, we've also seen this before. Like, it's established that uh, Darth Vader and Luke can feel each other, but, like, at the end of Return of the Jedi, he doesn't know precisely where Luke is. Luke's kind of evading him in that okay. in the dark corridors sort of thing. Fair. Love yeah. it. It's established that Force Connection doesn't really establish, like, exact location. Just right? presence? Just presence, kind of, right? Yeah. I think that's correct. I I like it. Thank you. I think the Star Wars nerds would be proud of me. I think y- your explanation, honestly, a sage is that thing for me. Okay, perfect. It, it's a good enough explanation that I can let that one go. Let's go. I, that, I got one. That one's gone. That's great, kid. Don't get cocky. Um, Han tries to win back his son. There's no score in this scene. I really like this scene a lot. It's a great scene. I really like this scene a lot. The sense of dread. Uh, the one thing I noticed... Could be the dad and me. Um, the walkway they're on, there's no railing. 
No, I noticed that too. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the fear of heights in me. <laughs> oh my god, there's a long way down. Uh, the Star Wars universe and walkways. Man, do they ever love them some walkways. Yeah. Almost as much as they love limbs getting lopped off. They really do. Yeah. Uh, Adam Driver's really good in this scene. Yeah, he's good in a lot of scenes, but this is the best acting in this movie as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes this scene work, for me at least... Is even even the first time in the theater watching the scene, you kind of know that Kylo Ren is being set up to be the main villain of this franchise. Yeah, you kind of know intuitively that he's not going to be turning to the light. So even when he's giving this monologue and he says, "There's something I must do, but I'm not sure if I have the strength to do it. Will you help me?" I think the audience kind of knows even on first watch, like this is about to turn, like something bad is about to happen. There's a really good sense of dread in this scene. And even even watching it on rewatches, knowing how this scene actually does go, just kind of adds to the tension. Yep. Like, the fact that we know something that our hero in this scene, Han Solo, doesn't know is is where the tension in the scene comes from. Yep. And it's really well executed. And then there's this great dramatic lighting cue as the sun goes behind the clouds. By the way, I'm going to quickly call back a line from earlier. Poe Dameron says a line, as long as there's light, there's hope. Yep. In regards to the sun charging the the base, yep. Well, the sun goes down at the exact moment that Kylo Ren chooses darkness, and it's a great moment of it's a great moment of lighting. It's a great lighting cue as he executes his father and executes one of the most iconic characters in film history. I was gonna say, I'm like, I'm like, if, if you were gonna say Star Wars, I'm like, uh, uh-uh. in film history, in film history, uh, a great moment. Which is Not- amazing that Harrison Ford has two of them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Not a surprising moment per se. I mean, it, it, it's not like it was the most expected, but it was it was well known just from the politics of the Star Wars universe that Hans or that uh, Harrison Ford wanted out. Yep, basically. So there was there was some speculation that Han Solo would die in this movie. So it wasn't the most unexpected thing of all time. But the I can't think of another word other than to say the execution of it was really good. It was. It was um, one of the best scenes in the movie. Daisy Ridley's scream. Yes powerful mm-hmm. well done and chewy using that bow caster which yeah. has been established as being very strong to maim kylo ren yeah which will become a plot point uh i love that chewy goes apeshit mm-hmm. it's finally nice to see this massive powerful being actually actually kick some ass yeah we always get it alluded to yeah it's always alluded to like let the wookie win yeah you know? <laughs> um so rain finn run mm-hmm. um Kylo, ready to fight. Sorry. A little bit of heartburn there. Ooh, you all right? Yeah. Chicken wings revenge. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, Finn, Kylo go at it. Uh, there's... <laughs> Kylo Ren is a trained jedi sith no he's not both a sith. really yeah. i mean well he's trained in the light side of the force and trained in the dark yeah. side of the force, he's not a sith, force though i shouldn't call him a sith he's not technically not a sith. he is he's trained in the dark an side. apprentice yes <clears throat> there's no way finn should get a hit on him even with him being injured no th- like there's li- there's there's no way no um but what i do like is that he does get one hit in which and then Kylo just kicks his ass. Yeah. Uh, 
He turns it up. Yeah. I like that he, again, a plot point I really wish we could hammer home. I really wish this movie would have hammered home a little more. Finn's called a traitor for the second time this movie. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have Finn's character arc be a little more um, explicit about that point. I would have loved to have had him be called a traitor a lot of times. And actually, I'm just coming up with this idea now, so tell me if it's terrible, but I like it. Um, where the lie should have had greater weight earlier, when I pointed out, when Finn says, I'm not a member of the Resistance, I don't remember the First Order, Ray should call him a traitor. Oh, nice. Ray should call him, Ray should say, how could you do this to us? You lied about who you are. You're a traitor. And then she gets taken away. Oh, I like it. Yeah, so then he has to rec- rescue her prove that he's loyal actually and he's not a traitor so then when kylo ren calls him a traitor here it carries no weight for him he's grown as a person yeah. he's like no i'm not a traitor i'm saving my friend i love it and it's a righteous character moment i love it kylo tries to force pull the lightsaber this is almost a cool moment <laughs> it's almost a cool it's moment. really close yeah but just for the small fact of he is pulling this lightsaber towards him, and it does indeed come towards him. But then he ducks out of the way. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. He should catch it, or at least attempt to catch it. Mm-hmm. But he ducks out of the way, and that's yeah. kind of dumb. She gets the force theme. Yeah. Which is so fun. It, it, it's it works. Fi- making, it works. Making me get an, getting an emotional response out of me with a John Williams score is shoot <laughs> is shooting fish in a fucking barrel, but it doesn't matter, man. It's it gets me so hype. It's so cool. It's so cool. Uh, they have a decent lightsaber battle, I guess. Yep. Sure. She starts to win. I understand he's injured. Mm-hmm. She hasn't had any lightsaber training. Yeah, I, I I get the complaint. I really I really do understand where the complaint is coming from. It just doesn't bother me. It it really doesn't bother me. Yeah, I think it, I I'm with you because we often see a much higher skilled villain lose to a lesser skilled hero. Yeah, happens all the time. Just a minor complaint. Yeah. I I think I agree with you on the Finn point. Finn really shouldn't... I would have liked that scene to be rewritten a little bit to be more Kylo toying with him. Yes. That's like, what it should have been. Yeah. Like, let, like, inst- like, have him even sheath his lightsaber and just, like, dodge out of the way of a few. Maybe you can have him take... Maybe you can have him take a blow then just because he's fucking around. Yep. But then as soon as he takes one little... One little nick to the shoulder, have him lose his shit and yeah. fuck Finn up. Uh, the earth happens to split right where they are. Yes. Creating a chasm between them that hopefully that they can overcome. Ooh. You think that chasm is symbolic of anything? Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Don't, don't say it. (laughs) I know where you're going. Don't say it. (laughs) I don't remember. I actually don't remember this part. Um, but we get a trench run homage slash ripoff. The trench run from the New Hope. Right. Yes. Poe's got to do a trench run. Mm-hmm. I completely had forgotten about this. Yeah. In a. Yeah, it depends on your definition of homage versus ripoff. Yeah. But yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those. <laughs> how much you like this movie? Yeah, I it's guess either an homage, 
Or they ripped it off. Yeah. And considering that this is almost the shot-for-shot shot remake of A New Hope, you can call it what it let's, is. Let's just say it is, it is a long homage. Yes. <laughs> this movie is very long homage. Um, Ray goes to find Finn. Um, Chewie finds them in the Falcon, uh, and they escape. Uh, General Hux finds Kylo. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. And they escape. Um, they go back to the base. Oh, the, well, right. Starkiller base blows up. To the surprise of everybody. Um, this was also something that bothered me. They go back to uh, the Resistance base, and Leia goes to Rey and ignores Chewie. Yeah, what the fuck? That's her fucking friend. That's And, and that's her, your... her husband's heterosexual life mate. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you go to Rey, who you have no connection with? Yeah. Weird. Yep. Super weird, weird writing. Yeah. Bad. Weird writing decision. Bad. Uh, and then all of a sudden, R2-D2 boots up. Because plot. Because we need a reason for The Last Jedi to exist. And he has the map. Mm-hmm. For reasons that would you would think become clear later on. So Ray leaves. Which is kind of bugged me that she just, it seems kind of irresponsible for her to just go to Luke's location immediately. And the fact that these people aren't following in tow right away. Uh, I like that. What I love is that um, Finn risked the entire future of the galaxy to rescue Rey. Mm-hmm. And Finn leaves him in a coma. Or sorry. Rey, Rey leaves him in a Rey, coma. Rey leaves him in a coma. Yeah. She says, we'll see each other again and kisses him on the forehead. And that's, yep. that's it. Yeah. yeah. Fuck him, I guess. All right. Yeah. Um, Is that the ultimate friend zone right there? Yeah. What the? Okay. Th- this is one of the most frustrating things that we'll get to as we talk about Rise of Skywalker. Oh, but this this trilogy cannot decide who it wants to fuck. Like, and I like it can't decide who it want, which of its main characters it wants to hook up. It's what? they're pretty clearly setting up Finn and Ray in this movie. Right. Pretty clearly. How fun would it have been if we'd had an actual love triangle? Yeah, it would have been cool. Oh. Get us something new in a in a Star Wars movie. I I would have really liked that. And uh, well, we had a love triangle until Lucas decided to rewrite that Luke and Leia were related. Yeah, like the first film, they don't say that Luke and Leia are brother and sister. Yep. And there's a nice little love triangle between the three of them, and it's fucking fun. Yeah, would have been the same here. Whatever. She goes uh, to the island. Uh, finds a hooded man. Slow turn. It's my boy. They, Mark Hamill, uh, did so much legwork to make sure that nobody knew he was in this movie. He wasn't entirely successful. It was pretty well known at this point that he was in the movie to some extent. Yeah. But he denied it and denied it and denied it and denied it. And, uh, you know, couldn't have been easy. Are we are we done Force Awakens or do you have, do you have something to say here? Just before I continue. Okay. Seeing Luke here at the end, and this build up, and her passing him or offering him the lightsaber, made me mad for what I know it's about to come after this. Like the like you're talking about the very beginning of Last Jedi. Yeah. Right. Again, not, you know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'll wait till we get to the Last Jedi. To a, to a united vision is what's needed here. 
I'm sure Ryan Johnson had his reasons for doing everything that he did, but specifically that point, which you're talking about, um, specifically the continuation of mm-hmm. this point. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he had his reasons. I agree it doesn't really work, and it's kind of a letdown after a year of waiting. I think Last Jedi came out the year following, didn't it? Or, mm-hmm. yeah. No. Two years? It had to have been two years, right? Yeah, it must have been uh, Force Awakens, Rogue One, Last Jedi, Solo, yeah. Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the audience has been waiting two years to figure out what is happening with this moment. And yeah, the realization is not, it's not, not great. It's not, not great. For all of my defenses of The Last Jedi, I don't think I can defend that one. That's Force Awakens. Yeah. You ready for some trivia? I would love some. Let's go. All right. When Finn and Rey ask Han if he is the Han Solo, he replies, I used to be, which is a reply Ford himself regularly uses when Finn asks him if he is Harrison Ford. Cool. Um, this shocked me because I knew he had a lot of these. I did not know it was this many. John Williams received his 50th Oscar nomination for this film. Do we know how many wins? I'm sure you can find out. I'm going to find out. All right. Uh, the prefix of the First Order Stormtrooper is FN, as Finn presents himself as FN-2187 to Poe Dameron. FN is an acronym for Foot Soldier Number. Oh. That's interesting. Yeah. Kevin Smith and Benedict Cumberbatch visited the set. Smith, infamous for his open and talkative nature, was forced to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And J.J. Abrams had World War II-style propaganda posters titled Loose Lips Sink Starships <laughs> hung up around the set as That's a really reminder funny. to Smith not to reveal spoilers for the film to the public. True to his word, the only tidbit Smith revealed about his visit was that he cried when he stood on the Millennium Falcon set. Wow. As it reminded him of how much he loved Star Wars as a child. That's that's really cool, actually. Do um, you have the gentleman's number? Can I guess yeah, it? Yeah, so uh, the number of nominations has gone up. Oh, yeah, it's definitely gone up. It's 52 now. Okay. Uh, many, do you have the wins? I have the wins. Uh, do you want to hazard a guess at the number? Yes. Six. That is pretty close. Okay. It's pretty good. Uh, do you want the number? Yeah, I do. It's five. Oh, it's that pretty good. That was going to be my first guess. Yeah. Uh, how, many of the, how many of the wins can you name? Oh, Jesus. Uh, okay, well, um, uh, Star Wars. Uh, yes, yeah. Okay. The original. The original. Yeah. Jaws. Yep. Back-to-back uh, scores for him. So 76 for Jaws, 78 for Scar- Star Wars. Schind- Schindler's List. Correct. We just talked about that. That's three. That's three. I'm halfway there. Uh, Living on a prayer, baby. Did he... I I want to say Indiana Jones. Incorrect. Nominated. Okay. All right. I love that um, score. It's great. Love it. Superman? I don't think so. No. Nope. <sighs> Okay. I don't even see a nomination for Superman. What year is Superman? It would be late 70s. Uh, oh, yeah, there it is. 79 nominated. Okay, nominated. So at least I'm getting the ones I got nominated for. <laughs> There's got to be, he had to have won, he had to have won one without Spielberg, if not more. Um, I'm not going to get him. I'm wasting too much air time. Okay. Uh, big one that you're missing is E.T. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, so you got Jaws, you got Star Wars, Missed E.T., got Schindler's List. Schindler's List is his most recent win, so he's I been know. nominated a lot. That's yeah. crazy, actually, now that I'm seeing that. Uh, the other, the fifth one that you're missing is uh, Fiddler on the Roof, 72. Okay. So you wouldn't have gotten that one. No. 
No. So a non-Spielberg. Yeah. There you go. Um. Yeah. That's six. Sorry, I I think I said three more, but oh, your right. your I, guess your guess was six. My guess was six. Yeah. So I should have said two more. That's my mistake. All right. Yeah. So one non-Spielberg. All yeah. right. <clears throat> um, George Lucas, while maintaining that he was at peace relinquishing his material, admitted to having mixed feelings before seeing the film, likening the experience to attending an ex-wife's wedding. Eesh. Uh, he was initially opposed to anyone else making Star Wars movies after he did, and he was personally divided on whether or not he wanted to make another trilogy. When Disney acquired Lucasfilm, they got Lucas's story treatments for episodes 7, 8, and 9. However, the new writing team chose not to use them. However, when he attended the film's red carpet premiere, he said he liked the film and even received a standing ovation from the audience, despite having nothing to do with the film. Hmm. A couple weeks later, however, Lucas seemed to change his tune and criticized the film for being too retro and compared Disney to white slavers. Whoa. Which Lucas quickly took back his comments. In an interview with Charlie Rose, George Lucas was critical of Disney's creative direction for the film, saying, quote, They said they wanted to make a movie for the fans. I said all I wanted to do was tell a story. They wanted to do a retro movie. I don't like that. Every movie I worked very hard to make them completely different, with different planets and different spaceships, to make it new. End quote. Yeah, and for all of the criticism that the prequels get, I, I think... If nothing else, they're ambitious. I agree. They're ambitious, and I, I can't fault a visionary for wanting to put his vision on the screen, even if it doesn't pan out yep. necessarily. Yep. And, uh, like, the prequels are, well, if you, he's not wrong. Like, Empire is nothing like New Hope. Jedi is nothing like Empire. Phantom Menace is nothing like the three of those. They're all different. Mm -hmm. And so for him to see a... I'm sorry, a literal remake of A New Hope would be frustrating mm -hmm. because he, he, one of the other things he always said is like, in my lifetime, prior to the Disney sale, he's like, I want to give another filmmaker a chance to tell a Star Wars story. And then he sells it and they don't tell a new Star Wars story. They tell an old one. Yeah. They tell, they just remake one. I can so, see how that would be frustrating. It would be. Um, Harrison Ford was paid $25 million for his appearance in the film. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of dollars. Yeah. Uh, this bugged me. Are you ready? Okay. This film had already accumulated enough IMDb user ratings, minimum 25,000, to be included in the top 250, coming in at number 47. Before the film could even be shown to the general U.S. audience. That's not fair. That's not fair. So that means people are going in and rating it before they've even seen it. Terrible. That fucking infuriated me. Yeah. The um, statistician in you. I know. While a guest on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon, J.J. Abrams told Jimmy Fallon that while most of the score was written by John... Oh, I told you that. Oh, no, no. Did you? No, he no. didn't. Um, but most of the score was written by John Williams... Williams preferred not to write the music for the scene in Maz Kanata's tavern. Abrams himself started composing a piece of music for that scene, but when he attended the musical Hamilton and met its composer, Lin-Manuel Miranda, he jokingly suggested that he would love to write the music for a new cantina scene. Abrams contacted him later and took him up on the offer. That's fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> I know uh, neither of us are big... Uh theater guys but I, we both watched the version of hamilton uh that made its way to streaming and we had a great fucking time i think sure did yeah, yeah. it was awesome and lin-manuel miranda is very talented individual mm -hmm. simon Pegg, who played unker platt 
once showed his then three-year-old daughter, Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. When she saw Yoda for the first time, she was instantly fascinated by his presence, and after a moment she said, Daddy, he's real! This was because at the time she only knew the computer-animated version of Yoda and not the original puppet. According to Peg, his daughter's response moved him to tears. Yeah, he later cute. told that story to his friend J.J. Abrams, years before he was about to direct this movie. When Abrams met with executives of Lucasfilm and Disney, he told them Peg's story, which influenced the aesthetic of this and any subsequent Star Wars movie greatly. Abrams suggested the use of real sets, puppetry, and practical effects in order to be closer to the style of the original trilogy. One day, when Peg took a visit to the Pinewood Studios during production, he was recognized by a puppeteer who said, quote, Hey, you're the guy whose daughter saved Star Wars. End oh, quote. that is the coolest story. Are you I kidding know. me? I know. That's so cool. <laughs> when I saw it, I'm like, Sam's going to like this one. Yeah, that's so great. <laughs> and man, uh, like, is the, is the trilogy ever better off for it? 100%. Like, for all the problems with this trilogy, one of the best things about it is how practical it is. Uh, according to Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy, when Harrison Ford and Chewbacca set foot in the Millennium Falcon set, every person on set was stunned. Kennedy claims there must have been 200 people who were completely quiet due to the iconic presence of Ford and Peter Mayhew back on Han Solo's ship. Yeah, that would have been fucking chilling. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I got for trivia. As, as mentioned off air, there's a ton more we could go into, so but like, more. just we got to cut it off somewhere. I got a shit ton of casting. Oh, I bet you do. Um, Gary Oldman auditioned for the role that went to Max von Sydow. Mm -hmm. uh, this was the second time he was considered for part in a Star Wars film as he was approached to voice uh, General Grievous. Oh, yeah. Cool. Brad Bird and Matthew Vaughn reportedly turned down the chance to direct. Bird had already committed to Tomorrowland, forcing him to decline. Vaughn entered negotiations even vacating the director's role for X-Men Days of Future Past in order to helm Episode 7, but eventually declined over creative differences. Reportedly disputes over the level of violence in the film, and his wanting to cast, uh, him, him wanting to cast Chloe, uh, Chloe Grace Moretz as the female lead. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's... Uh, I would have liked Brad Bird, actually. I really would have liked him there, but, I mean, he's an incredible director. Uh, Michael Fassbender was considered for Kylo Ren. Would have been too old... Uh, but would have done a fantastic job because of who he is. Uh, I don't know if you know this actor by name, but he's an, he's a character actor I really enjoy. His name's Lee Pace. He auditioned for the role of Kylo Ren. I recognize the name. Uh, he, he's unrecognizable in the makeup, but he played uh, Ronan the Accuser, the main bad guy in Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, of course. Okay. Uh, Joel Edgerton was considered for the role of Poe Dameron, even though he had already appeared in the franchise as Luke's uncle, Owen Lars, in the prequels. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Funny. I like Joel Edgerton. Tom Holland auditioned for the role of Finn. Uh, as great as he would have been, uh, we are better off for him having not gotten that role. Agreed. Because I, he would not have been Spidey. Holland believes he lost the role because he couldn't stop laughing at his scene partner when she read the Joy's character lines as beep boops. <laughs> uh, classic Tom Holland. <laughs> Elizabeth Olsen. Jennifer Lawrence and Shailene Woodley were considered for the role of Ray. As established in this episode, we were fans of Elizabeth Olsen. James McAvoy and Chiwetel Ejiofor were considered for the role of Poe Dameron. Yeah, both would have been good, I think. Yep. I think I slightly prefer Ejiofor. 
Is that how you say his name? Ejiofor? Ejiofor, yeah. Okay. Directors discussed to helm the film include Matthew Vaughn, Steven Spielberg, Oof. Guillermo del Toro, Peter Jackson, Christopher Nolan, Ben Affleck, Joss Whedon, Brad Bird, Ryan Johnson, and James Cameron. I mean, honestly, any of the above, really. Those are those are kind of a who's who of directors. I think you and I have had this conversation before. You've probably explained this to me before. Why hasn't Spielberg directed a Star Wars movie? I can't remember why. He's given a reason. Yeah. I can't remember why. Yeah, there was a reason, but I can't remember why. Yeah, he would have been obviously amazing. And there was one more person that was considered as director. This is my boy. David Fincher? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. It's no Alien 3. No. No, thank you. Yeah. I don't think... Nah. All right, favorite quote. I got seven. Go for it. Finn. Solo, we'll figure it out. We'll use the Force. That's not how the Force works. Good one. Uh, Han Solo. Chewie. We're home. Number three. Chewbacca growls. Oh, really? You're cold? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. Number four. Han Solo. Escape now. Hug later. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, number five. What are you going to do now? Same thing I always do. Talk my way out of it. Growl. Yes, I do. Every time. (laughs) (laughs) Number six. Han. These are all Han. I'm trying to be helpful. Leia. When did that ever help? And don't say the Death Star. (laughs) Number seven. My first non-Han solo. It's from Poe. Do I talk first? Or you talk first? I talk first. <laughs> those, are those, those are all good ones. Very little overlap. I'm very happy about this. Uh, we, I have six. Okay. Uh, number one is from Ray. I didn't know there was this much green in the whole galaxy. Oh, that's I, the, the I found that to be a really genuine reaction from a girl oh, who grew up in a desert. Yes. Uh, number two. I don't know if you like this one as much as I. Goodness. Han Solo. It is I, C-3PO. <laughs> you probably don't recognize me because of the red arm. <laughs> uh, number three. Um... The belonging you seek is not behind you. It is ahead. I am no Jedi, but I know the Force. It moves through and surrounds every living living thing. Close your eyes. Feel it. The light. It's always been there. It will guide you. The saber. Take it. Dumb plot point. Cool line. Maz Kanata. Yes, indubitably. Uh, number, <clears throat> excuse me, number four is Kylo Ren. I'm being torn apart. I want to be free of this pain. I know what I have to do but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. Will you help me? Nice. Uh, number five, uh, in response to Ray's question, the Jedi were real. Han Solo says, I used to wonder about that myself. Thought it was a bunch of mumbo jumbo, a magical power holding together good and evil, the dark and the light. Crazy thing is, it's true. The force, the Jedi, all of it. All of it's true. <laughs> nice. Woo! Chills. And then number six, do I talk first or do you talk first? <laughs> I talk first. <laughs> I, when I remembered that I had that quote, I was like, I need to start the episode off with that. That's a good one. That's delightful. <sighs> my favorite quote. Same thing I do always do. I tuck my way out of it. Mm. I, yes, I do every time. Every time. It's all in the line delivery. It's from in the Harrison. line delivery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, God, I think I'm going to go with Kylo Ren's quote about, uh, his monologue about the pain inside him. Yep. It's, it's largely in the context of the scene, but it's yep. really, really good. It's delightful. Uh, favorite scene, I've got five. Okay. 
Uh, I got Poe and Kylo, who talks first. Yep. I've got uh, Finn and Ray fixing the Falcon. That's the lighter thumbs up. Oh, that's a good one. Um, the Millennium Falcon chase on Jakku. Yep. Through the Star Destroyer. Uh, Han's death. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Kylo versus Finn. Oh, okay, yeah. Very cool. Uh, I have uh, five as well. The opening scene on Jakku. So with that, I'm kind of including both the who talks first, you talk first, I talk first, okay. and then Finn's uh, bloody face after okay. the fact. Nice, yeah. <clears throat> Excellent uh, choice. Uh, number two, Finn and Rey escape from Jakku. So that's the chase with the Falcon and the TIE Fighter. Yep. Uh, three, Finn uses the lightsaber on Takodana. Uh, so that's the planet where Maz Kanata is from, and that's when the guy yells "traitor" at him, and they yep. have that duel. It's so cool. Uh, number four, Kylo Ren and Han Solo on the walkway, aka Han's death, and uh, I really like the ending as well, in spite of what we know is coming. <laughs> uh, my favorite scene is Han's death. Me too. It's uh, it's a clear highlight of the movie, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Uh, awesome. Closing credits. Are there any Oscar-worthy performances in this film? uh no but if we're gonna twist i, th- I think everybody is doing good work yes i don't movie. think there's anything bad there's no bad acting in no here. bad performances in this movie uh if we're gonna go there as it were okay. um adam driver supporting all right <laughs> would he'd be my first pick of the bunch okay again i don't think he's worthy but let's go there okay so you're all right can he slip in this collection of people okay mark rylance for bridge of spies Mm-mm. Christian Bale for The Big Short, Tom Hardy, The Revenant, Mark Ruffalo, Spotlight, Sylvester Stallone, Creed. What an incredible collection of actors. No, he cannot. Yeah, I agree. What other aspects of the film are award-worthy? So uh, got sound, visual effects, editing, and I'm missing one. Score. Score. Yeah. Um, makeup? Yeah, makeup. makeup's good. Um... Did, did it get art direction? Sorry, I must have missed that. Ooh, no, it definitely did not. Art direction. Let's see. Who are we taking out then? Where are we? Art direction. Why is there no art direction? Best sound mixing. Pro- oh, there Production design, it's Production called this year. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Sorry. No. We're just spies? Yeah, I could. As much as I like that movie, I could take it out for this. Okay. Uh, Danish Girl. Haven't seen it. Me neither. The Martian. I think The Martian's uh, production design is pretty good. The Revenant. Also pretty good. I I think I can take up or despise comfortably. I could too. Yeah. I could too. Uh that costume design? No. No. No, I can't. I don't think the costumes in here were noticeable enough. It's pretty and, pretty standard. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of the a lot of the heavy lifting on the costume design was done by people in previous movies, which is also the same reason why I don't think John Williams deserved to win for score. It's because the best moments were not composed for this film. Agreed. Uh all right. Uh, weak link of the film. Uh, it's connection to the original trilogy. It's uh the fact that it was written to be an homage, a ripoff, a retread, a remake, whatever you want to call it. it it's connection to a new hope. Yeah, it's playing Simil- it safe. It's similarities. Yeah, it's similarities. It's, again, I understand why they had to do it. Yeah, the bad taste in everyone's mouth from the prequels. Yeah, needed to be washed. Need to be rinsed. Yeah. Big time. No, it's the lack of risk taking. Yeah, was this anyone's career highlight? Probably. Uh, I feel like we should maybe reserve judgment on that until the end, but or until the end of the trilogy. But you know what? I mean, we've made no secret. This is like, this is the pinnacle here. 
I, I think this you could easily make the case this is the career highlight for um, well Adam Driver's uh, oh no he hasn't won an Oscar oh, fuck, I thought he won for Marriage Story but Joaquin <laughs> um, you could make the case for Adam Driver Daisy Ridley John Boyega Oscar Isaac uh, basically anyone J.J. Abrams I mean I don't like that Lost uh, that's for J.J. Abrams Lost my personal pick is Star Trek. This is the highest grossing film domestically of all time by a significant amount. Yeah. Fourth highest grossing film of all time. I, I honestly don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, uh, given this could have been. Uh, these questions are always very suggest, uh, suggestive. Uh, subjective. Yeah. Uh, they're always very subjective in how you want to measure career highlight. This made a fuck ton of money. It made a lot, a lot, a lot of money, and uh, that's that's all well and good. If you want financially, I mean, there's no even debate that it's financially the career highlight for probably everybody in this movie. Um, but from a quality perspective, J.J. Abrams made a better movie in Star Trek, which also I don't have the numbers, but probably made a reasonable amount of money being a property. Um, I would say it probably made like one third of what this made. From an artistic perspective, I bet if you asked him, J.J. Abrams would probably say Lost. 100%. Yeah. Lost was huge. Yeah, that was a fucking smash hit. Never watched it. I, I, don't, I wasn't quite old enough when Lost was getting onto the scene. When Lost was at its peak, uh, I wasn't quite old enough to appreciate it. I've never really watched Lost, but maybe I should. I've heard it doesn't end very well, which is usually the case with network TV. Are you looking up the uh, box office numbers for Star Trek, or I said, what did I say? One third. One third. I said, I said, Star Trek maybe maybe made one third of what this did. Oh, okay. I I didn't hear you, but okay. I believe you. <laughs> it's less than that. Oy. It made basically one third of the domestic, and less than one one third worldwide. So it made about three hundred and fifty million ish. Worldwide. Or worldwide, three hundred million or three eighty. Three eighty. Okay. Two fifty, domestic. Yikes. Yikes. That's still that's a that's a that's a smash, smash hit. hit. Yeah. This is just so fucking big. Mm-hmm. Um. Highlight reel. Everyone probably. Harrison Ford. I mean, Han Solo is on his highlight reel. Um. But that's we're talking specifically this film. specifically Force Awakens. No, because that's that'd be one fucking huge highlight reel if this made it. With with some of the older actors who have been around for a long time, have played some of the most iconic characters in film history, you need to be a little more choosy. Does this make an Oscar Isaacs highlight reel? So far, yes. By the end of his career, no. I don't want this to be on his highlight reel. No. MVP of the film. That is tough. You probably won't like it. Uh-oh. It's probably J.J. Abrams. I'm going Harrison Ford. Yeah, that's good. I like that answer too. Harrison Ford is like, he's all over my quotes. Yeah, all the all the enjoyable moments from this film are with Harrison Ford. That walkway scene is really good. Yeah, I like that pick too. <clears throat> I'm not upset with your JJ Abrams, yeah. but I'm going Harrison Ford. I respect it. What will be this film's legacy? Uh, well, for us, it's kind of an unrealized, um, unrealized gem. Is that? or the movie that it was the stairway to nothing basically it was it was a stairway that was built to 
just a collapsed building. <laughs> um, for the rest of everybody, it was the beginning of a monstrosity. I, I, I have a better answer for you. Okay, sure. This is the, this film's legacy that saved the Star Wars franchise. Yes, which is true. But among Star Wars fans, is this movie well-received? I have no idea. But prior to this movie, the Star Wars franchise was pretty dormant. Yeah. And nobody was really... Buzzing about it. Nope. Now we've got Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett. You can't go two fucking feet on the internet without seeing a picture of baby yoda even like two years after he was introduced yep or three years whatever it was yep yeah no i i agree with that sentiment um for me personally the legacy of this movie is that it set up a number of payoffs that were never paid off and it 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 made me hope which is always the first step to disappointment they give you a new hope Ooh. oh no, it's a <laughs> completely different movie, man. I can't emphasize that enough. Did this awaken your hope? Oh, nice. <laughs> it's a little forced, but I'll take it. <laughs> would you watch this movie again? Yes, I would. I have a good time when I watch this movie. Yeah, I'd watch this movie again. Would you recommend this movie to friends? Everybody who I would recommend this movie to has probably already seen it. So, yes, I guess, technically. No, I would not. I would, again, this is always a subjective thing. If the question is, what should I watch tonight? Force Awakens is rarely the answer. Rarely the answer. Never the answer. If the question is, I'm thinking about checking out Force Awakens, the answer is yes. Yeah, check it out. I like that distinction. Yeah. Yeah. What should I watch tonight? Never The Force Awakens. (laughs) Watch A New Hope twice. The, instead next, of- <laughs> the next time somebody posts, what should I watch tonight in the podcast group, I'm going to put this on and see what kind of reaction yeah. I get. People will be like, why? <laughs> why would I watch that? <laughs> Sam, your final thoughts on The Force Awakens. Yeah, uh, I'm glad we managed to tread a lot of the ground that I really wanted to tread. Um, I'm surprised that we didn't really say more negative things about the movie i mean we agreed about a lot of the negative things we did talk about but judging by your initial impression of the movie i expected you to uh to shit on it a little bit a little bit more um i I like your pick for the legacy of the movie it's the movie that saved star wars and how it saved star wars in my opinion is bringing a proven director and writer like jj abrams who's able to inject all of his properties with life like like star trek and make the people on screen look like they're having fun and make the people in the audience have fun taking that guy and putting him at the helm of unfortunately only one movie initially um makes it uh it it was a recipe for a good time are there problems with the force awakens a slew of them uh a slew is the word that i'm using manny um it is absolutely a rehash of the original nobody is arguing that uh could it have benefited from taking some more risks from an artistic perspective yes absolutely a thousand times yes it would have been a better movie if it took more risks generally speaking however that just wasn't in the cards um when we hear that other directors dropped out from this project due to artistic differences what i hear there is disney wanted a director to make a new hope jj abrams delivered that's all that I hear there. I think some fresh, exciting new characters played by 
relatively unknown actors at mm-hmm. that point was exactly what the doctor ordered for this franchise. And I'm thankful for what J.J. Abrams did for it. The bottom line is it succeeded in bringing the levity back. It reintroduced the franchise to a new generation of fans. It introduced new characters who have their own thoughts, desires, and backstories, which are set up to grow and interact in interesting ways in the films to come, ideally. Uh, And it expands upon the existing lore, including a couple of new force powers, which I think are pretty cool. So, honestly, the concerns have been well documented at this point, but I have a great time with this movie regardless. I can't wash the bitter taste out of what I know is down the road. I just can't, and I wish I could, because I remember watching this movie and loving it and having a great time, but upon this rewatch, I just found myself bitter and angry and trying to purposely pick it apart. There's a lot to enjoy, but the promise that this film gave me was not met and it's pretty much well it's all downhill from here with the exception for you of rogue one oh yeah i like rogue one a lot but i'm just thinking of the sequels yes yeah it's definitely downhill from <coughs> as far as the sequels are concerned yeah so next week i have a, a, a lot more to talk about in two weeks time i'm curious if your opinion of the if your opinion of this movie dropped i'm very curious to see uh last jedi is going to be a very interesting one the claws might come out yeah interested so we'll see sam what's your rating of the force awakens i was worried that it wasn't going to be when i rewatched it this time for the same reasons that your estimation of the movie has fallen Mm -hmm. for me it's still a pretty easy four mine's a three no surprise yeah it was a hundred percent a four going in yeah and it quickly dropped to a three Mm -hmm. and never came close to coming back up sam what's next week (laughs) next week as alluded to we're gonna keep on trucking so uh Disney decided, or maybe J.J. Abrams decided, I can't remember, that it would be a good idea that all the stuff that they set up and the direction that they did not have for the movie, the trilogy had not been written, they decided, let's get a different guy in the director's chair. We're going to be talking about Ryan Johnson's take of the sequel trilogy. That's episode eight, The Last Jedi. So in episode 207 of our podcast, we'll be talking about episode eight of Star Wars. Um... I am, this is, for me personally, this is one of my most anticipated episodes, I think. Interesting. I'm very excited to revisit this for myself because, full disclosure, I mean, maybe a mild spoiler for next week, but this movie gets shat on. This movie gets pointed to by a lot of people, a lot of Star Wars people, as the problem. And in my problem, in, in my estimation, it is not. It's a flawed movie, yes, with some good ideas. And it is not the problem. I can't argue with that. The problem comes the week after that. <laughs> but uh, we will we will find out if that's the case when we revisit it. That's my memory of it. I haven't watched The Last Jedi since it came out. And I'm excited to get back to it. I think this will be my third or fourth time watching The Last Jedi as well. Yeah. Okay. 
I have I've argued with so many people about the Last Jedi in person. Interesting. But I, I'm very excited for it. Episode 207 next week. Don't miss it. I'm going to have a lot of fun. All right. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. It gives us a five-star rating, and a positive review. It does increase the profile of our podcast. allows more people to find us. Please give us a, a five-star rating on Spotify as well. It just takes a, just a couple seconds to do it. We truly appreciate it. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manny Movie Podcast. You can email us at sammannymoviepodcast at gmail.com. If you also want to see what we've been watching and stuff like that, you can follow us on Letterboxd at Manny42 and Sam Reimer. Correct. Yeah. I always, for some reason, I always think there's a dot in there, but that's your yeah. email address. Is that yeah. Right? I always I always forget what my actual Letterboxd handle was, but I'm pretty sure it's just Sam Reimer. Sam Reimer. Uh, yeah. All right. Here we go. For the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. May the fourth be with you. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios.